Did you just say because I'm white? Did he? It's an answer. No, I said because I'm poor. Not oh, okay. oh, I was gonna say we're gonna have a conversation about that. I <laughs> said because I'm white. I'm like anything that ends with because I'm white. Yeah, we're not doing that in this household. That's not fucking happening. Why would you? Because what? I'm bored. You translate it in be, into. I'm wearing headphones. And I heard because I'm in it sounded like you said white, <laughs> but it wasn't loud enough or in the mic like, to pick it up. I said, so I made weird noises and they're like, why? And I said, because I'm bored. And they thought I said, because I'm white. I thought you said, because I'm white. <laughs> yeah. And then dad was like, did he? <laughs> I wasn't yeah. sure. He went, he went, no, no, that shit ain't playing in my house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, you were literally going to see a father and son reenact, fuck around, and find out. <laughs> Daddy, why are you hitting me? Because I'm white! <laughs> uh, what are you doing, little one? She paused here because... She really wants to say because I'm white. That's what she's doing. Aren't you? You're waiting, aren't you? Why are you waiting? Because I was gonna go. I wanted to see what all this argument was about. <laughs> That's it. You're free to go. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to so bad. I can see it I know. all over her face. Her cool was like, yeah, that, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Before I <laughs> oh, um, you're never gonna believe what happened yesterday at work. In fact, no, you probably will believe it just based on the caliber of people that come in and out of the plant, driver wise. Um, Somebody back into another trailer? No, that's par for the course. So on a yearly basis, this. that usually happens. I've never dealt with it up until what happened yesterday. So. Um, and this happened to Ooh, this could be anything. <laughs> and this happened to a guy that you and I both enjoy working with, or you did whenever you were working there. I still do. Mm-hmm. So a driver came in, apparently wasn't paying attention, pulled into that uh, off the side of the road where our truck drivers are supposed to pull in at. Wasn't paying attention, and the back end of his trailer was at the right angle. He went over the front end of uh, Bitterkoffer's car. Yeah, like the, not the entire front end, but like the fir- the front half of the front end of his car, basically demolishing the tip of his car. Yeah, it was insane because all we heard was like a big like crunch crash type thing. I was like, "What the fuck happened?" And it's all the way over there at the end of the, the end of the road. And I that was not where the first place my mind went to is something down the end of the road fucking happened because it was near those two poles right at the edge of where those signs are that saying you can't park there. You know how some people have been parking right there at the edge of it? Uh-huh. Well, his car was there as well. Well, more specifically, his daughter's car was there. He had taken his daughter's car because she's in, uh, in college right now. Yep. And um, he had taken it to get it worked on, get it all up and running as it should be while she's in college. He was going to go deliver it either that night or the next night back to her. And then this happened. But the guy that hit, I told him, I was like, look, I know you're coming in to pick something up. Sign in, but we're going to have to get this handled. Didn't acknowledge of what anything I just said, other than him signing in and everything. And then he's like, all right, uh, so I go in now. I was like, and the guy spoke broken English. She was either Spanish or Italian, one of those general 
countries right around the same area. Fucking cat. So he didn't speak very good English. Just enough to apparently pass the test and get the job that he has. So uh, he went to go leave. I was like, no, no, no. You're not going into the plant. Do not get in your rig. You're going to have to hang out here because you just hit that man's car. Until the police come. Yes. He went back to his rig. I kept on fucking trying to... I hadn't yelled yet. I kept on telling him, no, stay here. He got in his rig, fucking rolled up to the gate. I didn't open up the fucking gate because he wasn't fucking getting in. And then at the same time, everyone else wanted to leave, like Selinsky and all them wanted to come in and out of the plant. I was like, it's not happening. Well, as a, as a, that was all going down, Tom, um, with Selinsky, he rolled up and he's like, look, I watched the entire accident happen. Um, if you need a witness for the police, I'm here. Just let me know. Um, so I had him tell the driver to back up back down the road. He's not getting in the plant until we handle that accident that just happened. He comes up. He's like, I go in the plant? I was like, no. You hit a guy's <laughs> you car. You dumb shit. <laughs> and I was yelling at this point. I was like, you hit a guy's car. You need to stay out here. He's like, oh, no, I didn't hit anybody's car. It was like that before I got here. I was like, I highly doubt it. I didn't, I didn't see it happen, but I highly fucking doubt it was you. Or it wasn't you. So we're going to wait here till the cops get here. Cops have been called. I also let uh, Ray know and all that. So we were waiting for the cops. The cops didn't show up for like 45 fucking minutes. It was insane. So he tells uh, the, the sheriff's officer that, uh, well, he's got a dash cam, and he was able to look at the dash cam, and it shows that the vehicle was wrecked before he pulled up. And the officer's like, all right, show me the dash cam. He's like, well, we need a laptop. I can only view it if you have a laptop. And the officer's like, how did, how did you view it? View it. <laughs> yeah, and, he's like, and the guy didn't say anything after that. He, till the end... Was like, no, I didn't fucking hit it. It wasn't me. We have some video footage of him because of where the one camera is. So we see him pass the car and then we see his back end react to hitting something. We don't know if it was the car or not. What else would have would it have been? been? Right. So that was a fucking ordeal and a half to deal with. And the guy, whenever he pulled up to pull off to the side of the road across the street, he had plenty of room. The only thing that was in front of him was near the edge of the end of the curb that uh, drivers can pull off. There was just a little box van right there. Just a little box delivery van. He was going to the storeroom. He had plenty of room to where he did not need to pull in that early. But for whatever reason, he did. So, yeah, that was that was fun. That that pretty much took up the majority of the day. On, what was it? Yesterday was Tuesday. So, yeah. So... That, I can imagine. That's why I didn't want to record yesterday. There was, there was I was a lot fucking of, exhausted. There was a lot of fucking shit. <laughs> a lot of people coming in and checking the tape. And yeah, people were still... A, people were coming in and asking me questions. B, I had people ask me, hey, can they look at the footage, all that shit. And I still had the regular duties in my job to hand, fucking handle. So it was a fucking ordeal yesterday. So anyway, um, so we are partnering, uh, partnering, partnering, partnering up with a... News source aggregator. Um, it's called Newsly. Uh, it, it's this new uh, app that's been popping up all over the place. Uh, it's on all Android and uh, iOS phones. You can download it right now just by typing in Newsly. You can go to their website, newsly.me. And we are partnering up with them. And for the first time in history, you can actually have the internet basically read to you. I don't know. Did you go on the app whenever? I, I did. Um, I've, I've tried it out. Whenever I got in contact with them, I did not know what Newsly was. I was just like, all right, they're looking for people. I'll throw my hat in the, or our name in the ring. See what happens. They contacted us. We started talking, working things out. And I downloaded their app. And I was like, what is Newsly? And it 
fucking amazing. Like, you literally get news articles read to you. Yeah. So you know how everybody likes audiobooks? Yeah, yeah. Or podcasts? Imagine that, but with news from reputable news sites Yep. about literally any topic you like. Yep. Uh, here, here's an, where's my phone? Here's an example of one of the news sites. You can, you can listen to entertainment news, sports news, fantasy football news. Like you can go on the app and just boop, hit a button and it'll bring up all the different like trending topics for well, that well, particular just, subject. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you just open up, it'll bring up trending topics for everything. Yes. But then you can personalize the experience further by selecting like the category that you mm. want to listen to yes. news from and have it read to you. Mm. Not necessarily because you're illiterate and can't read, right. but because let's face it, you're busy. Yes. You don't have time to sit down and read a 45 minute article, but you do have the ability to pop in your AirPods and go on a 45-minute jog and listen to your news at the same time. One of the biggest problems we're having on social media and actually people getting the information they need to get is them only reading the headline. Yeah. And then moving on. Newsly takes that fucking out of the equation. They will read the goddamn article for you. It does not matter the news. Well, it matters if it's a reputable, um, factually-based source. Like, here's a site. Um, I... I know, depending on who you are, we'll fucking throw this in my face. But I read a lot of articles on CNN, MSNBC, uh, Young Turks, shit like that. And one of the things that recently came out was about Paul Rudd. And CNN did an article about him. Um, Apparently, uh, People Magazine um, made him the sexiest man alive for the year, I guess. Whatever. And CNN wrote up an article about it, about him going on Colbert and how it was announced on Colbert and... All that about him being people's sexiest man alive. And I was like, oh, sh- that w- this is one of the first articles I, I clicked on because I was like, what is this about? I was expecting a news article to pop up and I would just give like cliff notes of the actual article. This is what fucking started happening, Ryan. Paul Rudd is people's sexiest man alive. From Clueless and Friends to the Ant-Man franchise, Paul Rudd has played everything from heartthrob to hero. And now he's the sexiest man alive. Agree. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> that voice is not wrong. <laughs> and here's the thing. They have this, uh, this, the tech with their app where it doesn't sound like a robotic, like uh, Alexa or this Siri is talking back your to you. Wake up call. Yes, it's a very natural, like talking voice. Like you just heard about Paul Rudd being the sexiest man alive. He's completely right. Um, but the, all the news I don't articles know, that though, you can Ryan get. Ryan Reynolds is in the ring too. I know. Whenever Although they, he's won a few times. So, when, whenever, yeah, I know. Uh, whenever they announced Paul Rudd as the sexiest man alive, I was like, that was not on my list of who I thought they would announce this year. Like, I, it's not a huge deal with me, but I'm like, whenever I heard they were announcing Sexiest Man Alive, because Colbert announced it on his show that he was going to mm. announce it on his show, I was like, it's probably going to be like Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne Johnson, someone along those lines. And then they announced Paul Rudd. I was like, oh yeah, he is kind of dreamy. <laughs> so I guess the, yeah, it would make the sense. The average dreamy man. <laughs> right. Mm. <laughs> but not only do they have the best uh, like articles and topics uh, trending at the moment and you tailoring it to your experience on the internet, but they also have podcasts, including this podcast right now, along with other podcasts uh, in 40, From I think over, over 40, 40 countries. countries yeah. Um, anyway, so if you download the Newsly app right now on either Android or iOS, you can use, if you sign up for a premium account, you, if, whenever you download the app, you can just use the actual just standard account that you set up whenever you download the app. 
But if you decide to pay for a premium subscription, with our promo code, you can get one month free. Now, we're going to be saying this a few times because it's a bit of a complicated promo code. Perfectly fine. You are on the internet. You are somewhat literate when it comes to the internet. So the promo code for um, one month free for Newsly is nerd, the number one, the letter N, the number 10, and the letter N. It's Nerdidian with just with the I and the uh, O replaced, replaced by ones and zeros. Yes. It's very fucking inventive. It's just whenever he sent me the promo code, I was like, this may be an issue, but we'll try it. See what yep. happens. So just to, to spell it all out for you, N-E-R-D, one, N, one, zero, N, and you put, you put that in on checkout, you'll get one month of the premium service for free. And I'm telling you, this is fucking, it's... And let's face it, who doesn't like free shit? Yes, and it's, Everybody it's, it's a brilliant... Out, this is fucking game-changing, because one of the biggest issues, like I just said earlier, is people not reading the actual article. And this will read the art- article for you. So go to newsly.com. Well, to not you. Not .com, sorry. To you. To you. It'll read <clears throat> to you. Not for you. It'll yes. read to you. Sorry, I misspoke. Yes, it'll read to you. Um, but go to newsly.me or go to your iOS or Android store and download the Newsly app and then put in our promo code NERD1, the number one, N, the number 10, and then the I stumbled letter over and then the letter N. I stumbled over that so bad. So one more time, so we eliminate any confusion. NERD, the number one, N, the number one, the number zero, and the letter N one more time. It's just basically Nardinian, it's just the ones or the I and the O's are replaced with ones and zeros. That's it. Um, if you're confused by any of that, the links for all of this will be in the description for this episode. You'll see the promo code. I'll put it all there in the description. There will there shouldn't be any uh, confusion besides me bastardizing um, what I just said. Animal crackers. So before we get into this movie, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. I cannot fucking say enough how this movie just came out a few weeks ago. It's going to be leaving HBO Max in like a week or two. If you haven't yet, go watch this movie, then come back and listen to us talk about it. Also, there will be massive spoilers for the entirety of the movie. Also, make sure you find us on Instagram and Twitter at Nerdinian. You find me at both those um, platforms at That Wanker. And also like and subscribe on iTunes, or not iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, all Wherever the you listen podcasts, to podcasts, Newsly now. Um, anyway, let's get into this episode. I'm Greg Vance. And I'm Ryan Downing. And this is Nerdinian. Um, and we go uh, nerd movie by nerd movie, scene by scene, beat by beat for each nerd movie. Um, we've tackled the DCEU, we've tackled the Alien franchise, the Predator franchise, a good amount of nerd movies thus far. Good, healthy, meaty, um, girthy. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is one. We still have a plethora. We have the MCU to tackle, which... Star Wars franchise. Star Wars which, franchise, which we, I'm debating. So, we haven't done any TV yet. I've been debating, whenever we get to the Star Wars franchise, to start peppering in TV. Because we have the Mandalorian series... Um, I was thinking about like pulling like a few like Clone Wars episodes, not the entire series, but just episodes here and that's, there. I was gonna say that's fucking. That's lot. quite extensive. Yes. Um, so I haven't decided yet. Those are in the even future. if we painted it in fucking broad strokes, like that would yeah, be three or four episodes <laughs> worth of broad strokes. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, up this week is probably. 
well, before we get to the actual episode, we should probably give a in memoriam to someone we talked about last week. Um, Dean Stockwell passed away, I think, yesterday, maybe today. Dean Stockwell, he played uh, Dr. Yue in the, the 1984 Doctor, or Doctor, the 1984 Dune. Dune. Um, David Lynch's Dune. He passed away the other day, and mm-hmm. apparently, uh, so far, it's just natural causes. Just He was in his uh, like mid to late 80s. So. Right. Um, he wasn't so, a, a spry young man anymore. Right. Um, and he's a fa- he was a fantastic actor. Dune, uh, Quantum Leap. You've seen him pop up in Battlestar Galactica. Um, Battlestar Galactica. I'm blanking on anything else besides Dune. Uh, I think you've seen him uh, um, pop up in the uh, Star Trek series, uh, Next mm. Generation. I think he popped up in there a few times. I think he was in the Firefly series at one point, at one episode or two. Or maybe I'm confusing that with Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I think I'm confusing I, it with Battlestar. I don't remember him in Firefly, but it has been a while since I watched it. Right. So. Um, but so, I mean, he was he was a very good actor. He's. Um, it's a shame that asked, he but, that he went, but he had a long life. He was in his mid to late eighties. Yeah. Granted, nobody wants to go, but he had a good life. So, uh, I guess pour one out for Dean Stockwell, if you will, if that's your thing. Um, anyway, so this week we are getting into. So, what are your thoughts on this movie first? <laughs> were you were you exhausted by the end of the movie? I because oh. you're okay. You're someone that hasn't read the book. I've right. read the book. I at have least not, had the book read to me by with, right. from Audible. I have not read the book. Um, I don't know that I was exhausted, but I was losing interest. Okay, at what point? Is it before everything started happening? Like when uh, the bad guys started descending yeah, upon? Yeah, kind of. That's what I thought a lot of people would start losing interest. Like, I mean, it was still a good movie. Mm-hmm. It, it takes its time to get it to just, that point. Yeah, and there was a couple of like stylized choices that I'm not sure that I really liked. With? Um, the sandworm's teeth bothered me. I, I didn't have an issue with that. It's almost like a, one of those giant whales you see in the ocean. I can't remember the actual... Like a great a baleen whale. shark. Or, yeah, like baleen the, shark the with big, the, the, the fiber teeth. And, well, right, but it's... yeah, It it's reminded not, me of that. It's not teeth. Yeah, it's like strands of hair. But, right, it looked like strands of hair, and they're like, oh yeah, we made daggers out of these teeth. And I'm like, the daggers look nothing like the fucking teeth, though. Like, yeah, you, well, you're not seeing really close up on well, the teeth. fair. Yeah, but <laughs> to scale, it probably does look like an actual like dagger if you're well, up next right, to it. Right, but I just okay for me and and the the color palette oh, was, the the was browns off. and darks right instead of like the the shiny white and red like I get it they dig through the dirt so their teeth are dirty and, and whenever you take one out and you actually polish it up and stuff like this is what it could look like mm-hmm. but like. You could give a little bit of that color through, like you don't have to just go. These are going to be dark brown. Well, the the Fremen are not the uh, pomp and circumstance type of people, and you see that with Javier Bardem's character as a Stilgar. They don't really do the pomp and circumstance. Well, no, no, so no, no, that, no, no, Them no. polishing they, shit up. They, they absolutely did, though. Like the the Chris daggers, I think is what yeah, they call them. Chris daggers or. Cry dagger? Or? I think they're called Chris daggers. 
It's like C C R Y S. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're they're gorgeous. They're beautiful. Yeah, and I I'm not talking about just. Uh, but the sandworm's actual teeth are just like dark brown. Chris, Chris knife. Chris knife. Oh, I thought you were talking about the actual. No, the daggers the, look the daggers gorgeous. Like it's like pearlescent white with like tints of red around the blade. And right, stuff, right. Which looks great. But the sandworm. But the himself. sandworm, like teeth. Like I like the way the sandworm looked overall. Like overall, it was a positive experience. But mm-hmm. like there were just a few. Things there were just, just like, like little tweaks that I would have been like, oh well, if you had just you know tweaked it a little, just a modicum of extra color to that, like mm-hmm. it would have it would have made it pop and like okay, well I can see how this became this, but okay. As a person, overall, overall, my gripes with this movie are pretty far just and few between. Little tweaks here and there. Yeah. As um, a person that wa- read or had the book read to him, um, I fucking adore this movie. There is Dune for the longest se- longest time. Like the actual books itself were one of those books where people were like, "No one's ever gonna fucking get this right." David Lynch got the closest to what uh, right. uh, Frank Herbert wrote in the book. No one's ever going to be able to tackle this. They made a miniseries. It was a fucking disaster. What Denny Villeneuve did in this movie was fucking magical, in my opinion. There are so many fucking things that are in the book that are in this fucking movie. From the way the fucking worms look to the helicopters that they have in this movie. They're actually called, uh, what are, uh, wrote it down. Ornithopters. Ornithopters, which are actually in the book. They look more helicopter, our helicopter version in the book, but just with uh, dragonfly wings. In this, it's more dragonfly-esque in the movie. So they're, uh, they're so, with the Chris knife, whenever she's handing the Chris knife to Lady Jessica, and she yells out in excitement, noting, noticing that the revelation is true, is something in the book. And it's just one of those like small details where it's like, they fucking did it. I was fucking Jeff Goldblum. They actually read it. <laughs> yeah, I was Jeff Goldblum. They looked at the source material. <laughs> I was Jeff Goldblum from fucking Jurassic Park watching the dinosaurs exist. I was like, you fucking beautiful bastard. You fucking did it. <laughs> you know what's going to happen in the second part of this? <laughs> you're going to still be Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> but you're going to be, you were, you were so busy thinking about the fact that you could, you never asked yourself if you should. Because <laughs> you're going to fuck it up the end. <laughs> uh, I, I've even to the the extent of um, Paul doubting him being who everyone's saying that he's going to be. This great man, this great leader. Eventually, with right. the uh, Benny uh, Benny Jesuits, them saying that he could be the Quisette's uh, Hatterack, them hinting at that, and then him going to um, uh, uh, trade. Or I was going to say a trade. So no, Arrakis, and then him finding out that. Them thinking that he's the um, uh, Lysen Al Gaib, he was like, no, 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 that's something the Bene Gesserits did. This is not. This is all for fucking superstitious reasons. It's not because they actually feel that way. It's because they were fucking conditioned that way. It, it's it's all from the fucking book. It's a brilliant fucking storytelling. What Denny Villeneuve and his team and all of them fucking did is just magical. I fucking love this movie. I I enjoyed the '84 one a lot because it's just weird and just. Fantastic. Quirky in 84. Right. This one, I cannot fucking believe how much he fit into this movie. And granted, this movie's a bit longer than the other ones, like 236 or something like that. Yeah. The movie's a bit long, and I will agree with you. It does slog for a minute. And this movie does not care if you've read the book or not. 
Does not care if you've no, read it, uh, the book or watched the 84 version. It does not care. It explains little things to you, explains some things later on, but right off of the jump, they don't give a shit if you know anything about either the voice, who the Bene Gesserits are, what, how important Paul is, how important it is that the Harkonnens leave, and all that shit. They don't give a shit. They just keep rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. Honestly, I, I'll also say this. There were a few times, like, I think that in the 84 version, in in Lynch's version of it, it was overdone. But I found myself missing the internal monologue. Okay. At, at certain points. I can see that. Um, I didn't necessarily need a huge amount of it, but, like... Every so often. Just... Like, even if they only did it once to pay homage to uh, what happened before, what what came before, yeah, like I feel like that's a maybe not a necessity, but it would have been a nice touch. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there were there were a few times where I was like. I probably could use like internal monologue. Right yeah, yeah, something to help you along figuring out what the fuck is going on. Um, I and I also didn't like that uh, that Jessica and Paul didn't know that UA was the. Yeah, that's something they did take away. There are a few things that they did not include in the book. They touched on them a little bit, but they, the book really fucking expel, spells upon it much further. Yeah, with Doctor UA, we don't see him. A whole hell of a lot in this movie. No, barely. You see him at, all. at little points. You see him whenever he. Uh, spoilers like, like in the the eighty four version of Dune, we get Dean Stockwell explaining in full detail of why he betrayed House Atreides. And this is just mainly he's got my wife, and I have to do this in order to set her free. That's it. And he just says, "I'm going to replace your tooth with a poison tooth. Just crunch down." In the 84 version and in the book, it fucking, he goes into full detail. Like, the tooth, the tooth, the tooth. Just constantly talking about the tooth. Well, he, I didn't even necessarily need more of let's that. Just, that's just like, an example. Like, the fact that Lady Jessica and Paul have no idea that UA was the traitor. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, oh, well, look, he was trying to help us. I also didn't like, because in the book and both in the 84 version of the movie, the House of Trades, the Duke, um, um, what's his name, the um, Mentat. Oh, God. Starts with a T. Um, Turf. Turf. Um, him and a gurney all know that them being awarded the position of uh, the fife of uh, Arrakis is a trap. In this, they don't figure it out it's a trap until, like, I'd say the day before it fucking happens. No, they know. No, I don't think they... No one ever mentions it. gurney... Because they, Gurney is constantly talking about this is a big thing for the family. You think of all the riches that the Harkonnen were able to fucking gather and the billions and billions of credits that they were able to fucking rein in because thought, of what they got on Arrakis. I thought Gurney said something about knowing when a trap is a trap. Or was that in the 84 version? I think that was in the 84 version. Okay. I mean, it could be. Like, they're both pretty fresh in my brain, mm -hmm. so... Um, so yeah, they, I did, I wasn't, cause I really liked that in the book that early on, they know it's a trap. They're just going to figure out how to re not be caught off guard from the trap. Obviously it doesn't work, but the idea that they don't know it's a trap in this movie until after the, um, refiner is attacked by a sandworm and they come back to the, um, main city, uh, 
I want to say they know before that. They know before they leave. They still know before they leave. I don't or think they, they do. Or they suspect. I don't think they do. I don't think it's ever mentioned. I'm not 100%, but I don't think they ever mention it until think, later on. I think a conversation between Paul and the Duke like says that the Duke thinks that it's a trap. Because talking about the gravesite? Yeah. No, it's never mentioned at the gravesite. Well, no, not that not that it's a not that it he doesn't come out and just say, "Oh, it's a trap." <laughs> right. Like he doesn't akbar the situation. He just like he mentions that he wants his son he, around him he hints, for political reasons. He hints around it and is like, the reason that... Um, I just blanked on his name. Who? The Duke or Paul? No. Um, the Emperor? No. Uh, Momoa's character. Oh, Duncan. Duncan. Duncan Idaho. Ford or something like Idaho. that? Idaho. Duncan Idaho. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The reason that Duncan is going first is because... The Harkonnens took the spice and made lots and lots of money, but we're not going there for the spice. We're going f- for the desert power. Yeah, like, yeah. We want to be yeah, in that, league with the Fremen. I don't because, think that's him hinting at a well, no, trap. He, he says because like the great houses look to us, the emperor is threatened by this. Like We know that there's probably something coming. Like I this guess is, maybe this is yeah. probably this is probably not. I was like, more, <laughs> hey, we want you to take over the spice production because we really. Now like I'm you. thinking about it, it's quite possible because I was just mainly concerned about what happens afterwards about Paul saying he doesn't want to be the leader that his father is and all that. And there's a nice little exchange between the two characters that I fucking adore. That I didn't want to be either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fucking, I wanted to be I a pilot. That. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about it when we get to it. Um, but uh, fucking everyone's cast in this movie is fucking spectacular. Yes. From Timothy Chalamet to fucking uh, Rebecca Ferguson, uh, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, fucking Josh Brolin, oh god, what is his name, Stellan Skarsgård, fucking Dave Bautista, all of them are fucking amazing in this yeah, movie. Yeah, they were, they were very well cast. Yes, like, and the Skarsgård's fucking Baron Harkonnen is so fucking spot on to the goddamn book, it's fucking haunting. And it's, it's way better than the crazy 80s yeah. version that we got in Lynch's <laughs> the film. maniacal fool as he floats around in a high-speed circle laughing his full head off. Yes. It's very fucking better. Um, anyway, so... It's very better. Did I say that? Did, yeah. That I thought happened. I said it was very much better. I just heard it's very better. <laughs> um, Which, that is bad English, sir. Yes. Well done. Um, this movie, uh, let's just jump into it right away because, like I said, this movie is like two and a half hours long. Nearly 240. Right, and we kind of already listed off the entire cast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, most of it, because yeah, I'll get to it here in a second. Uh, it's written by Josh Spates, Eric Roth, and of course Denny Villeneuve. Um, directed by Denny Villeneuve, who is uh, I'm, I started like just going through his IMDb page after I watched this movie because I don't know why, but things like Arrival and Blade Runner twenty forty nine, both those movies I really fucking enjoy. Didn't bother to look in who directed it. They're both directed by Denny Villeneuve. Fucking really enjoy those movies. He's doing good work. Yes. Um, but it stars, like I said, Timothy Chalamet, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, um, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, uh, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Sharon Duncan Brewer, Chang Chen, Dave Bautista, 
Dave DeSmolchin, once again, another movie we're talking about, and um, Charlotte Rampling, and I'm not sure how to say this person's name, uh, Babis Olusanmokin, O-L-U-S-A-N-M-O-K-U-N. I, I don't know. Probably close. Maybe. And this movie starts off with a bit of voiceover, like the first one did. Uh, and it starts off with we just hear Zendaya, uh, her character. We're not sure what her name is just yet, but we just hear her character talking to the audience. And she says, "My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low, rolling over the sands. You can see spice in the air. At nightfall, the spice harvesters land. The outsiders race against time to avoid the heat of the day." The ra- the ravage of our- they ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. These outsiders, the Harkonnens, came long before I was born. By controlling the spice production, they became obscenely rich, richer than emperor richer than the emperor himself. Our warriors couldn't free Arrakis from the Harkonnens, but one day, by imperial decree, they were gone. Why did the emperor choose this pra- path? And who will be our next oppressors? And uh, during this whole uh, opening monologue, we just he- we just see images of the Harkonnens mining the spice from the sands. We see the Fremen people attacking the um, harvester, um, and they're being- guerrilla warfare style. Yeah, they're seeing we we see from the Fremen's point of view of them like in like small and uh, trenches along the edges of where the harvester is. They're looking at it. They start attacking it. They eventually get their asses handed to them by the Arcanans. Yeah, ships show up and start just wrecking, shooting shop. mortars. Basically, yeah. and um, we see Dave Batista's character watching over his men. We see just basically what she describes of them descending upon Arrakis. And then one day they all leave, and there's no one there to, um, I guess, mine the spice and con- have control over the uh, people of Arrakis. And then we cut to, after that monologue is done, we cut to the title card, Dune Part 1, and then we cut to Timothy Chalamet waking up from some sort of dream or nightmare. Um, but he's, bit of, he's in a bit of a, like a, a cold sweat of some sort. He gets up, we then cut to um, him at the breakfast table with his mom, and they're just chit-chatting a little bit, and she starts asking him, <clears throat> are you prepared for the day? And he's like, the military presentation, the whole pomp and circumstance, no, why do we have to do it? And his mom, Jessica Chastain, or not Jessica Chastain, but Lady Jessica is like, because it's important, because it's something that we as the, uh, we as House Harkonnen, not Harkonnen, we as House Atreides, Atreides need to adhere to a little bit of ceremony. And then I think she makes some joke about him being in a uniform or some shit like that. But then she pours a glass of water, he says, thank you, and she's like, why don't you make me? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, use the voice. And he's like, Mom, it's too fucking early it's for this shit. Early. Mom! Um, and she's like, no, make me. Use the voice. You know how. I've shown you how. Use the voice. We see him concentrate for a little bit. Tell her to get him a glass of water. Doesn't work. And she's like, you got to find the right register or right pitch or something. Right like pitch. That. He thinks for a second. We see the, and hear the sound distort a bit. He says it. It's a bit of a delayed. It's almost like a... Uh, a Japanese dubbing of an old martial arts Yeah, like a, or like original Godzilla movies. Yeah. He says something, we don't hear it, and then it, the what he says uh, is given to us, but then it's also distorted as well. Um, we see her reacting to it, and she's 
starting to give the water, but then uh, I guess the power it has over her stops, and she just puts the water down, like, more on her side than his side. And then she, like, comes out of her daze, and she's like, oh, well, you'll do better next time, and then just gives him the water on her own accord. Um, basically saying, nice try. You did all right. I was able to lift the glass and put it some way near you, but right. not all the way. Um, we then cut two, and it's just basically a... So, one of the things I love about this movie is... Denny, I don't know if it's because he loves the way that the ships are described in the book, or he just wanted to get out of his own like need to artistically express what he thinks Dune ships should look like. So, a lot of the ships in this look very fucking similar than what we get in the book. So, that big tube thing mm-hmm. that a lot of all the ships come out of at one point... It's called a no-ship, and it's basically what the navigators travel everybody in whenever they need to go from planet to planet. That's it. Um, so we see like some sort of like big round ship coming out of the tube and descending upon Arrakis. We also see like scenery Not shots. Arrakis. Or uh, 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 Cal- Caladin is the uh, yeah. planet for House Atreides. Uh, we see the ship descending on um, Kaladin. We see some nice scenery shots as well. And there's a lot of fucking scenery shots in this movie. You're just just rolling landscape of just everything mm-hmm. around him. We see the ship lands and like this big ceremony is going on for the people that are landing on uh, Kaladin. We see uh, the Duke with Lady Jessica just behind him with his son right beside him. We see Gurney. And then we also see right behind him off to his left... Uh, his mentat, mentats. I wasn't sure if we should mention it, like like doing a setup for this movie. But we talked about it last week. Go to that episode. It's very similar in this movie as well, where we have different people from different planets. So we have the humanoid computer computer people who are like fucking really fucking smart people. Just they have basically the ability to compute anything computer, inside their head. Computer hybrids. Yes. Uh, I don't remember the planet they come from, but. Um, every house has them, a Bene Gesserit, and I think that, and just standard, like, uh, um, medieval, like, like, commander of the guard and shit like that, like, what Gurney is. Um, But off to his left, behind him is his Mentat, and it's uh, Turuf, and he asks Turuf, he's like, how much is this going to cost? Them. Them. I don't think he mentions who them is. No, he doesn't. He just says, how much does... Did all this set them back or something like that? Yeah, and uh, his mentat Turf and I love this because in the Dune one they just have him sitting in front of some device speaking into like some sort of like mic, and then he just a bunch of white light starts flashing on the actor's face and stuff, and we hear like a bunch of clicking and stuff off to a machine off to his uh, right. But in this, the actor's eyes go completely opaque white, and he mm-hmm. starts. We see him like basically thinking. About what's happening. They go back to his regular eye um, display, I guess, like the regular, uh, what an eyeball looks like. And he spews off a bunch of numbers that I didn't write, that I didn't care because it doesn't matter. It's a lot of fucking money that they're spending. 13 trillion. Something something. like that. Um, And in in the um, book, they also did alter this a bit. So in the book, the Mentats, because they have to uh, drink this like um, liquid of Sophos or whatever the fuck. Um, they're around their lips are constantly stained, and this one is just like a black strip going down, like the tip of the right. bottom lip down their chin, which I really enjoy. That it doesn't, it's not off-putting. It's just very like neatly down where their. Uh, I have a butt chin. It's right there where that cleft is, so it just runs right down there. Um, and then we have, I guess, 
the emperor's um what are the pe- the the people that used to yell things in in town squares before actual newspapers town crier town criers it's almost like that um he unfurls a scroll and basically says what's going to happen in the rest of the movie that house uh Atreides has been um chosen by the emperor to go to, to become Arrakis. this the stewards of Arrakis. Yes, and mine spice and shit like that. And he mine says it all in a very firm, uh, formal way. It's a very, like, Grace Jones-looking guy. Um, I think it's a guy. I don't know. It looks like a guy, just very, like, Grace Jones-like features. If you know who Grace mm. Jones is, it's a black actress from the 80s, 70s and 80s. Um, she became more prominent in, like, the Conan movies, shit like that. Fucking fantastic, like, actress in, in her own right. Um, anyway, so he's saying that they're uh, told to go to Arrakis and basically rule over the people of Arrakis. Do you accept? He says. Yeah. The Duke says yes. He said the. the he says, Atreides has been called, and Atreides will answer. Yeah. Um, he walks up, puts a seal of approval, literal a seal of approval. The ham, uh, Hamley, the family seal, the Dussel singlet, signet. I think it was what they call it mm. in the book. Uh, he stamps it. It's a ring, so he just stamps it down on the wax that's being poured. Um, we see the um, uh, the Reverend Mother Mohame look at Lady Jessica, then look at um, Paul, oh. and then look back to Lady Jessica. And then Lady Jessica looks at Paul. It's like, oh, shit. She knows something's up. Because um, nobody knows about Paul and what he could or could not do because – He's just the son. All anybody heard about it was a son was born for Duke Leto. Nobody knew it, to what, or at least the Benny Jesuits didn't know to what extent until she saw Paul. Right. Um, and I think that's it for the scene. Uh, we hear Gurney say Atreides, and then all the men say hurrah, hurrah, or whatever, hurroo, hurroo, whatever the fuck. Um, we then cut to, I think it's later in the day. And it's like heavily raining. Or maybe we cut to House Harkonnen. I think we cut to House Harkonnen on Getty Prime. And it's Batista going into his... Uh, uh, Raban going into um, uh, Baron Harkonnen's like steam chamber. His main yeah. like area where he's just calming himself, I guess. Because he, he's just completely naked, sitting in this one area where it's just nothing but steam. Uh, like the qu- one corner of the squared off area. Um, we have Dave Desmolchin as um, Piter. Off to the r- uh, right of Dave Batista, he comes in and he's like, Why the fuck did we let the Duke tell us what to do on Arrakis? You just let us leave. Why? And um, uh, Piter. Oh, maybe this is where it is because uh, it's actually something that. The Baron says, it's like, when is a gift not a gift? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was about yeah. to get to. Because, yeah, uh, Piter... That, well, that's, that's like, the when is a trap not a trap thing that I was saying earlier. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what I was thinking. This yeah, is yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Piter's like, uh, it's not everything you think it is. And then um, Robin is like, what the hell are you talking about? And this is where we get to... Raban. Raban. Uh, not Robin. Yeah. Uh, Raban... Uh, says what are you talking about this is where you get the line you just said when is a gift not a gift and then he just like wipes the wipes the sweat off his face and i fucking love the character work that 
Stellan Skarsgård is doing, just the little movements he's doing here and there, and just the actual makeup work on him. It looks fucking... He's not a 300-pound man, but it looks legit. Yeah. Um, we then cut back to... I think it's... I think this is where we first get introduced to Duncan, uh, Idaho. Because I think we no, just see his the... ship descend. I thought... I thought him being introduced, then it cuts to later in the day, it's Paul sleeping, and then uh, Jessica, like, sitting at, like, the edge of where the rain is falling, where she's sitting at. No, I think the next scene is the one with Gurney that they kept in from the original. Is it? Where he's... I think you're right. Where he says something about, like, don't have your back towards the... No, because he's wearing the... Maybe the gurney up or the gurney thing is before um, the actual ceremony because in the scene where we first get introduced to Duncan, he's still wearing his ceremonial oh, garb. Right, yeah. So yeah, I think it's before the ceremony he has that uh, little squirmish with uh, with gurney, and in that scene is it's, it plays out very similar to what we got in the original movie where gurney's telling him you shouldn't sit to your back towards doors, and Paul and Paul we we open up on the scene and Paul's just practicing on a dummy with like a wooden sword. And Granny's telling him you shouldn't have your back to doors. And Paul's like, look, I know your footsteps. I know how you walk. Someone could have imitated them. Yeah, it's very similar to what we got in the I first could have, movie. I could have told the difference. Yep. And then um, uh, Gurney's like, uh, why don't we spar? And Paul's like, not today. I'm not in the mood. We don't get the... Uh, oh, I know. I fucking was hoping you would and say... cattle making yeah, line. But... Yeah. <laughs> the, the line from the original one is that moods are for cattle and lovemaking. <laughs> For whatever reason, yeah, we don't get it in this movie. Um, he then, uh, Gurney throws like a blade by Paul and it embeds on the table next to Paul. <laughs> he just turns around, rude. Yes. <laughs> Paul grabs it, turns on his shield. Uh, Gurney does the same, and they just start Which, skirmishing. They're way better in this, obviously. I know. It's not the blocky shit that we got in that not, first movie. Not Minecraft shields. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, much better. It's, mu- it's, it's like, like a, a blue shimmer around yeah, yeah. them. And anytime something hits it, we get like a red shimmer happening over top of it. Well, if if it's penetrated, it turns into a red shimmer. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right, because anytime they're hit, it just turns blue. Right. But if it like starts going in, yeah. What? It sounded weird. Um, but yeah, they start squirmishing, and they're just... Uh, I guess exchanging blows back and forth. Paul gets in a good hit, and then just uh, Gurney gets in a few other ones. Paul adjusts himself. He's like, "All right, fine." And then they just start wailing on each other back and forth. We see the their shields starting to go red as they get in closer to one another. And then bing, bang, boom! Paul is on top of fucking Gurney with his blade, both his blades up to his neck. He's like, "Look, I beat you." And Gurney's like, "No, you didn't. Look down. You would have followed me in death as well." And it's a very similar scene that we got in the other But instead movie. of it as dick, it's it is like ribs. Midsection, yeah. Uh yeah, in the last one in the uh the uh eighty four one, it was literally at his dick where Patrick Stewart was gonna stab a man in the dick. Um I just want that audio bite for Patrick Stewart stabs, stabs a, man a man in, in the, the dick. dick. <laughs> right. <laughs> News at eleven. <laughs> right. Uh yeah, and then we get the scene uh with the ceremony, then House Harkonnen, and then once we get back to House Atreides, it's um, Paul uh, running up to a ship. Running, running up to a ship. We see the ship descend into the like the main. Like, he's here. He's here. Hangar, if you will. Um, it's very similar. To, yeah, one of those scenes. Like he's here. He's here. I don't think he says anything. I think he just runs up to Duncan. 
But yeah, we see a character descend from the ship. He says a few things to the uh, engineers working on the ship. And then looks back at uh, Paul and he says, my boy. And they hug. And then Paul just straight up is like, look, I've been having weird dreams in them. You die in a hallway surrounded by a bunch of bodies. Can I tell you something? It won't go anywhere else. Of course. I want to come with you to Arrakis. Yes. No. <laughs> and he's like, no, you'll have my ass court-martialed if I take you to Arrakis with me. This is not going to be a fun and trip. he's like, why? Why do you want to come with me? He's like, well, I see you dead in a hallway, and I think I can change it if I'm there. Yes. Um, and Duncan pretty much throughout the entire conversation is like, no, it's not going to happen. You have other things you need to do. Your father would have my head, pretty much, is what he says to him. Um, we then cut to, and we, I love the, the relationship between Paul and Duncan in this movie. It's very similar to what we get in the book. You'll be hearing me say that a lot about things being similar that we mm. get in the book. It's very similar. It's very brotherly. There's a very loving relationship between the two characters. Because all intents and purposes, in the book, Duncan is the one that has trained Paul his entire life when it comes to like combat and all right. that. And Duncan, like, I know I keep saying it, in the books, is a fucking badass. And in this movie, we see... Duncan Idaho is probably one of my favorite characters in the book. He's a fucking badass in this movie. He's fucking badass in the book. He's a great character. It's a shame that they killed him off in the book, but I get it. And, I mean, played by somebody like Jason Momoa, like a badass played by a badass. Yeah. It's probably going to be a badass. <laughs> yeah. um, we then cut to, um, is it Paul, like up on like, like the main cliff area where the family buries their dead. The House Atreides buries yep. their dead. It's like a very modest like graveyard. There's like no like well, No, big... he like walks up onto the cliff and looks over and his dad is at I thought he was at a gravesite. Like his his father's gravesite, Paul's grandfather's gravesite. Yes. Basically they're preparing But, but then he comes like Paul walks over to his dad. Yes. Because he sees his dad off of the far. His dad waves at him in a very, like, dad, like, hey, I'm over here. Hi, son! <laughs> yes. Hi, son! <laughs> um, uh, he walks up to the Duke, and he pretty much says the same thing that he says to Duncan. He says to the Duke. He's like, I don't want to fucking uh, go to Arrakis, or I don't want to go Arrakis whenever we have to. I want to go with Duncan. Let me go with Duncan. And Duke's like, no, not fucking happening. Because what Duke has got to do. What Duncan's got to do. Or, yeah. What Duncan has to do, it's not going to be pretty. Because they're not going to be very um, welcoming to us. Another potential what they would perceive as an oppressor to their people. So what Duncan's going to be doing is very fucking dangerous. And I need you here beside me. And Paul's like, why? I don't want any of this fucking shit. I need you to learn how to do this stuff. I don't wanna. Yes. Well, I didn't want to either. Um, and then he uh, he tells Paul. He just has like a hard heart Paul to, with Paul. He's like, you know what? My father didn't really like what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a pilot. And he wanted to hear none, none of it. And he said something to me once. Uh, the line is, a great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it and answers it. And and then he ends it with one of the fucking best exchanges between a father and son character. And he says, and if your answer is no, you'll still be the one thing I ever I ever needed you to be. My, my son. son. Fucking great fucking bit of dialogue. It's and Oscar Isaac is a fucking amazing actor. I love I cannot wait for Moonlight. Or not Moonlight, but uh the uh God the Marvels uh uh yeah, no, it's Moon, moon Knight. Knight. I said Moonlight. It's Moon Knight. I was blanking on the word. 
I cannot wait for Moon Knight. I think he's going to do amazing work. I fucking love Poe Dameron in the Star Wars series. He's a fantastic actor. We then cut to like a series of shots and like the mu- uh, music gets very like doom doom as the all the house help starts packing everything up. And apparently at one point the grandfather was a bullfighter at one point. Well, yeah, that's and that's something that like they bring up. Um, yeah, in their conversation. In their conversation like like grandpa fought bulls for fun. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me let me go to Arrakis with Duncan. <laughs> no. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, we see them just packing everything up. We see uh, Bull's head being packed into a crate. We see, like, uh, his Duke's father, Paul's grandfather, like a portrait of him uh, packed into a crate. Just everybody getting ready for the move to uh, Arrakis. Um, we then cut to later in the day, and Paul's having another nightmare. And we see glimpses of the nightmare. We see some woman walking in the desert with him. We don't know who it is. We, as the audience, knew it was Zendaya. Um, if you know the books, you know it's Chani. Spoilers. We know it's Chani, and I think this is also one of the dreams where he sees that Chani ends up stabbing him in the gut, and he just looks down, and there's just a oh, bunch of missed, blood in his hand. We missed a scene. What scene? The Benny Gesserit testing him. No, that comes up, because while he's in the middle of this nightmare, then the Benny Gesserits come down, and his mother is is sitting that- at like the edge of where she's going to meet uh, the Reverend Mother Mohame, um, because... Yeah, so he's having that nightmare about what could happen on Arrakis with him and this mysterious woman that he doesn't know. She's holding, or someone's holding a bloody dagger. Um, he doesn't know what it is. Um, while he's having that nightmare, we cut to somebody sitting on the concrete floor with, like, at the edge of where water is falling at some sort of, like, atrium area. And mm-hmm. uh, the ship comes down. We see the ship. It looks very almost like egg like. It comes down. Out comes uh, the Reverend Mother Mohame. Uh, I think they uh, say that they want she wants to see the boy. Um, and then this is where we get um, Lady Jessica walking into Paul's uh, room while he's still asleep. And she starts preparing his clothes and everything. And in the middle of her grabbing his clothes, he wakes up. And he's like, what's going on? He's like, put these on. Meet me outside. He comes outside. And Lady Jessica is basically telling him, look, the Reverend Mother's here. She is the truth sayer for the emperor and she wants to test you right now. And Paul, I'm not fucking kidding. Do what she says. And then she basically is like and while she's doing this, Paul has this like, what the fuck is going on? Why did you wake me up in the middle of the night? What the fuck? And he looks over and Dr. Yue is right behind him just standing there waiting to be called upon. And Paul's like, why is Dr. Yue here? And then Jessica's like, she oh, one thing, I don't remember it ever being in the book. I think it's an addition to the movie. Um, for her servants or her like handmaidens or her own personal like bodyguard, she has certain hand signals. Or even to her son or Doctor Yui in this, this scene, yeah, it's, it's not quite sign language. It's like her own version of sign right, language. Right. It's that's that's what you would call it, for lack of a better term. Right. Um, and so she makes uh, a few hand gestures, and we see the words to, uh, up on the screen, basically telling Doctor Yui to check him out. Dr. Yue, with his imperial conditioning, basically checks out the boy. He's very Spock-like whenever he's reading someone's mind. He's putting his hands all over the boy's like chest and head and just his fingers. Mm-hmm. All over the boy's like chest and head. Just basically getting some sort of readout of how the boy is. Dr. Yue says he's fine. He's in top shape. Uh, Lady Jessica puts her head, hood on and basically reminds um, Paul, do whatever the Reverend Mother tells you. 
Well, in um, in the scene, like Paul asks Doctor Yue what's going on, and he speaks Mandarin back to him. Oh, back to Paul. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And basically says that the Banning Judges are it. Like they they serve all of the great houses, but they also serve their own purposes. So he's not a hundred percent sure what this is, but that he hopes that Paul stays safe through it. Yeah. Or something like that. Yep. And um, then Paul thanks him and then that's when he says that he's in good condition, his heart is strong. Yeah. Um just or Lady Jessica ushers him into the room where the Reverend Mother is. Well they're right outside the room and she like gives him hand signals. Yeah, she doesn't say yeah, she does the hand signals again as basically like do whatever she says, don't don't fuck up. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And we see, like, this fucking, like, worried, like, sick yeah. mother look. Or sick, wor- worried, worried sick. sick. Yes, that's the fucking saying. I don't know why I was stumbling over that. Worried, sick mother look on her face. Rebecca Ferguson, fantastic actress. She's really fucking killing it in this scene. She ushers herself and Paul into the room. We see the Reverend Mother, and she's, like, in a full head headdress with, like, a veil over her face and everything. Tries to coax Paul to come up to her right away. And immediately we get like this weird cut where we think he's walking up to her, but then we get back to uh, what is actually happening, and Paul's standing right there. And the Reverend Mother's like, "Oh, he's stubborn like his father." And then <laughs> she tells Jessica to leave. And then and he's basically like, "Who the fuck do you think you are, ordering my mother around in her own house?" <laughs> yeah. And before he even finishes it, she demands that he come up to her, and it, right away he fucking beelines it up. He has no control over it. We see him kneel right in front of yep, her. He is, or she uses the voice on him. Yep. Um, and then as he's on his knees, who the fuck do you think you are using the voice on me? <laughs> yeah. And she just straight up tells him, shut up. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> not having any of it. <laughs> right. And she's like. And she put, just pulls back her one yeah, arm yeah, and yeah, you see like a little covering. jade box. And she just put your hand in the box. Yep. What the fuck are you talking about? Put my hand in the box. Puts his hand in the box and then... It- no, before he does, she puts the needle up to his neck. She's like, if you don't, this is the Jom Kabar. Or no. Gom Jabar. It's as soon as he puts his hand in the box. I thought it was like seconds before no. he put his hand. It's literally as he slides his hand in the box, she... <laughs> like right at his neck. <laughs> yes. And says... Like the, centimeters the away from... Jom Gabar, if he removes his hand, he will die. Yes. And she explains the poison poison, needle. It's a poison needle, and it will kill you in seconds. Like, Um, if you remove your hand, you will die. Yeah, and she's like, "What's in this box?" Yeah, he says that. Yeah, he says, "What's in this box?" Which my stupid brain constantly goes to fucking. What's in the box? Every fucking. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter what box. It doesn't matter what context. (laughs) It doesn't matter if it's a movie. It doesn't matter if it's in real life. It doesn't matter. Mine is the same way. That's why I know. Because I do it at work all the fucking time. And I hate myself for it. Anytime. I don't. <laughs> I do. I fucking, I'm like, of course. You had to fucking do that. No, I don't I say just, it out loud. I always do at work. <laughs> like, somebody would be like, oh, go get the box. And I'm like, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> to a bunch of Amish guys. <laughs> yeah, none of them have any idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Um... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and it looks like he's about to scream out for guards, and he's like, "There!" And the mother, Reverend Mother's like, 
You can scream out all you want. No one's coming in here. Your mother's, Your mother's standing in guard. Standing in the way. No one will get past her. And we see cut to outside. We see her just standing there watching people go by. No one's coming up to her. She's just standing there with like her hand her hands together, just like in like a worried look, like oh god. Well, and kind of like she's feeling the same pain that he's feeling. Yeah, and we get more of that here in a second. So yeah, he has his hand fully in the box, and then she just Watches him starting to writhe in pain. She doesn't explain what's happening, but she starts seeing him writhe in pain. Um, and he just starts, it starts getting more intense and more intense and more intense. He screams out and he's like, shut up. He doesn't say anything. You just see him like fighting back the words to say it. And then we cut to outside and she's the one instead of Paul, like we see in the 84 version and in the book saying the fear is the mind fear killer. The, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Um, I must let it wash over me and through me, and when it is gone, only I will remain. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's not verbatim, in, but I think that's pretty in, much it. Yeah. yeah, in very broken. <laughs> like, that's that's the basic. That's sentiment. the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then you see like Paul just like internalize everything. Yeah, yeah, and he's struggling badly to and, like scream out, but then it starts to fade. And yes. you just see and I like fucking love you that. just see like defiance and like and him anger <laughs> rising towards the Reverend Mother. And him and his in the Reverend Mother lock eyes, and you could see it on the Reverend Mother's face. Like, like oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> I fucking love this moment. It's so fucking cool. Um but yeah, he's still like giving her like what? This is nothing, motherfucker. Um she's like, all right, stop. She takes the needle away from his neck. She says, remove his hand. Uh, he removes he it. He looks it over and it's perfectly fine. Um, and then she's like, tell me about these dreams you've been having. And then he explains that he's been seeing a woman out in the middle of the desert. Sometimes she's in bl- covered in blood or with a knife in her hand. And he just explains, like, I don't know what they mean. She stands up and starts to walk. Or no, she just stands well, she, up. She says, uh, do things happen, always happen how you see them in your dreams? Yeah. And he's like, well, no, not really. Not always. Or not always. And then she's like, okay, that's enough information. Bye! <laughs> well, before she bounces, uh, she's like, Jessica. Jessica comes in. And fucking Rebecca Ferguson, in all her greatness, in the book and in the movie, we hear Lady Jessica says, my son lives. But on fucking Rebecca Ferguson's face, we see this like, oh shit, my son lives. On her face. She doesn't have to say she a fucking thing. She's so fucking happy and just, it's a great moment with this character. Um, anyway, the Reverend Mother bounces at this point. Lady Jessica follows her. They think Paul isn't with them. We'll get to that here in a second. Um, and the Reverend Mother is basically being escorted by her people and Lady Jessica. And she's telling Lady Jessica, is like, look, he may or may not be the Kwisatz Haderach. Don't know. We'll see what happens on Arrakis. We've already set things up well, on Arrakis. She was, she was like, you know, we... You were... and. This is where you find out that, or what you already know if you've read the book or watched the 84 version. Yeah. Like, she was only supposed to bear daughters. Yes, we all see that. And how arrogant are you and stuff. And she's like, well, could he be? And she's like, I don't fucking know, maybe. <laughs> but if he's not the one, there are others. then there are other prospects. And they're like, we've, <coughs> we've set up things on Arrakis to the best. That we can. The best that we can. You're not getting any more help from us. Yep. And then she gets back in her ship, flies off, and then there's like a scene of Jessica watching her fly off. 
Turns around. Turns around, and there's Paul. There's Paul. And, and he's, he's like, like, what the fuck? What do you mean, the one? <laughs> yeah. And Lady Jessica gives him, like, the bullet points of what it is. Of being the Kwisatz Haderach, about what could happen on Arrakis, all that. Um, and then I think it cuts to... I want to see... I want to say the mother... Reverend Mother on Getty Prime. I can't remember the small scene we get. Maybe it's just more like quick cut scenes of them uh getting on their ship oh, and um, going to this Arrakis. is where like paul goes and watches the ship come out of the water oh yeah we get and small scenes goes, yeah and then he goes down to the water and like puts Feels his hand in, in, in it, yeah. in it it's basically him getting his last look and at caladan and all stuff that. like that and then uh you see a weird looking fucking critter <laughs> or person thing you talking about the mouse the mouse. What are you talking about? On Getty Prime. Oh yeah, the, the spider. <laughs> the spider. Yeah, I don't. I definitely don't remember that in the fucking book. But that's look. That thing looks fucking cool. Apparently, that's an actual person, not with all the legs and limbs, just right. four limbs. But then the other, the rest of them are added. But from what I remember reading about the movie, it's like some sort of like Olympic medalist of some sort just doing this scene. It's just a small little snippet of this weird giant ass spider eating out of the bowl. And yeah, we just hear like the Reverend Mother and uh, Piter, and Piter's like, it doesn't understand us. It's my pet. It doesn't understand. And she just goes, leave. In the voice. In the voice. And it does. And she goes, see, it understood. <laughs> yep. Um, and then she's like, activate the cone. Um, this is probably one of the- Cone I, of silence. <laughs> it's pretty much that. Uh, she just calls no, it the she, cone. I think she calls it the cone of silence. I thought she just called it the cone. I'm pretty sure she calls because it Because the, the idea of, of someone saying in her garb and in this movie saying that's the cone of silence is absurd. Just the idea of it, I think it's in the book as well. And I think in the book they do call it the cone of silence. It's very similar how it plays on the I movie. Think, I think that she Either way, the cone it's of a silence. weird little thing to fucking say. This is the cone of silence. And we just see like a light beam of in like a triangular shape just spotlight over them. Yeah, around them. And, and we don't hear the initial, like the beginning of the conversation. Well, we hear like a... Yeah. Like the, the, the adults from Charlie Brown. Yeah, fucking Charlie Brown <laughs> adults. Yes. <laughs> 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 and it pops up a <laughs> across the bottom yeah. of like the emperor will help you take back Arrakis yeah, with from the, the Atreides. With the Sardaukar. Uh, we'll give you... Uh, it's a certain amount. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. But we'll, I think we'll just say 5,000. Like yeah. 5,000 Sardaukar. And, and then we cut to inside the cone and they're having this conversation. Yeah. And then the Bene Gesserit's like, look, I don't care what you do with House Atreides, but the boy and the mother need to be set free. Let them go live on exile on Arrakis. They're useful for me and my people. They are they are under the protection of the Bene Gesserit. Yes. Do not kill them. And uh, the Duke says... Or, no, or not the Baron. Duke, Baron says, I promise I will not kill them. Yeah, you have my word that they will not be harmed by me or some shit like that. Some very, like, Shakespearean way of ba- saying it. Basically, well, the very politician way yeah, of yeah, yeah, saying yeah, it. Yeah, that's more... Yeah. It's, because then, well, they die. Well, technically, <laughs> technically, I didn't hurt them. Yeah, because uh, then she uh, tells them to deactivate the cone. She walks away. And then Piter's like, what are we going to do? Why are we going to hold on to the wife and, or the mother and the son? And he's like, 
Arrakis is a cruel and dangerous place. What happens to them on Arrakis? I told her I wouldn't fucking touch them. They I would not die by House of Harkonnen. wouldn't kill them. Yes. But that doesn't mean that Arrakis won't. Yes. Um, we'll get to that here in a bit. Um, we then cut to, I think, them arriving on Arrakis. Yeah, I think so. Um, and it's just them in like the main like corridor of their one ship as it descends onto Arrakis. And you have uh, the Duke, Lady Jessica, Paul... Gurney, Gurney, the Mentat, a small, a small pl- platoon with the the Duke and all them as well. Um, and Gurney's reading from a little book. Yeah, I'm not sure what that book is. I don't know either. But I don't remember it ever happening. Um, what I what I took it to mean, um, especially because like right before the door opens, he says something. I don't remember what it was, but I remember it being like poignant, like. Like almost like warrior poetry, mm-hmm. and so I assume that's what the book he's reading is—is yeah, is like some sort of warrior's poetry or something like that. It's a very small book. Yeah, it's it's wee wee little. Yeah. But I mean, all the books that you see in the movie are somewhat small, and then they also small. incorporate the film books because there yeah. are things called film books in the actual book itself, and it's just basically a, a projector, a small computer with a projector on it, and just starts playing all the information in the book. In the does. book. We have something similar in this movie as well. And that was one of the little scenes as they're getting prepared to leave Kaladin and all that as Paul watching. We get it later on. We get two scenes. Him on Arrakis. Only, I only remember the one. Yeah, we get one on Arrakis as well, but we also got another one on before he goes to Arrakis of him on Kaladin. Just a similar scene before he goes and fights Gurney. Um, anyway. Uh, and we go through the Rick and Roll of them being ushered on the planet. We see Paul, see Tariff already on the planet, along with a bunch of their other soldiers that have already been there a few weeks before them. Mm, Paul yeah. see, sees Tariff, runs up to him. He's like, Tariff, my old friend. Oh, he's like, young sir. How are you? They hug. Um, he says, my duke and my lady. He basically gestures, bows to them. Uh, I remember... Duke says something to him like, "How how are you doing, Tariff?" or some shit like that as well. Or how's it how's it going? And Tariff says, um, "We've basically taken over the city, but there are still pockets of resistance. Yeah, um, remnants of their old masters or some shit like that. Yeah. And then we should see like on the outskirts of this entire uh, uh, procession happening, we see just a bunch of Fremen handmaidens, I guess, servants. Well, just potential servants, Fremen in general." Just watching this happen. We hear them say uh, over and over again, was it uh, Lysane Al-Gaib out yeah. in the open. And they, we cut to their point of view. They see um, Paul and Jessica walking side by side. Um, they walk up to a small ornithopter. They get in. It closes. And Paul asks her, like, what is Lysane Al-Gaib? And she basically tells him, like, look, that's their idea of a, a prophet, of a messiah. The- the walker from other worlds or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the out speaker from the outside or some shit like that. Yeah, it's basically their idea of what a messiah would be. Right. And it's uh, it's leading more into the prophecy of the... Uh, in the book, they call him the Mahdi. Um, they also mention him as the Mahdi um, later on in the movie. Um, he ends up taking the name of Maudib, the name of their kangaroo mouse that we see periodically throughout this movie once he gets to Arrakis. That little mouse with the big ears. Oh, yeah. Those are Maudibs. Um, it's very similar in the book. Um, and, yeah, because of the... And this is one of the things I love about the book. So the the stature of Paul Atreides has always been 
not muscular, but not meager, like that in between, like we right. get with Timothy Chalamet. He he can hold his own if he has to, but he really doesn't fucking want to. He'd right. rather be doing anything else than trying to fight someone. We get that in this movie. Was, uh, yeah, so Jessica ends up explaining everything that uh, what the Lisan Al Gaib is. That their idea, the Fremen's idea of a messiah, that they believe that you're the messiah, Paul. And he's like, why would they fucking think that? I just fucking got here. They don't know nothing about me. And then, and Lady Jessica's like, look, they are very superstitious people. And he's like, that's more of the Benny Gesserit bullshit. This is what Paul says. He's like, this is the work of the Benny Gesserits. This is what they've been conditioned to fucking say because of this fucking order that you're a part of. He's like, I'm having none of it. He doesn't say all this. This isn't verbatim, of course. This is just what he says but doesn't say. Yeah. What is the next scene? I think it's just them settling into Rackus. Yeah, I think it's them settling into the... Uh, or No, no, no. I think this is the scene where... Um, Lady Jessica's picking the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it is kind of them settling in. We see servants, like, unpacking things, shit like that. And we cut to Lady Jessica, um, like, in front of a long line. We see Tarif guiding her into her room, saying, like, oh, these are the best handmaidens that we picked out for you. Then you just pick what you want and then let dismiss the rest. He walks away, and near Jessica, we see one of her own private guards with her. Um, I'm going to mention that because what happens here in a second. Uh, so she starts walking down the line, and then halfway through, she stops. And she's like, oh. Uh, she looks at this what's, woman. What's your name? Yeah, I can't remember the woman's name. It's I remember the language that they start speaking in. Um, they start speaking in uh, Chakosa, is what they call it. Um, we see the name actually pop up as they start speaking it, and the actual texts are popping up as they're talking about it. Um, she asks her what her name is. Oh, no, I do. It's a uh, um, uh, oh, shout-out um, mall. It's S-A or S-H-A-D-O-U-T. Shout-out mall, I think is her name. It's uh, the small lady that we got in the 84 version. That's right. the same character. Um, but yeah, she's like, the rest of the women can go. And she's uh, they start talking in the uh, Chakosa language. They speak Chakosa, and then she's like, oh, so you know Chakosa. And she's like, I know many things. And she's like, oh yeah, like what? And Lady Jessica's like, I know that you're uh, concealing a dagger in your bodice. And she's like, Oh, At, right when she says that, she knows that because they're speaking in like basic or just English right, right at this point. Right when she says that, we see Lady the Jessica's guard, like the motherfucker, <laughs> yeah, starts unsheathing her sword and see Lady Jessica do the hand signal again to her guard. The guard stops that, completely. That says, "No, don't, don't." Um, the shout out uh, on unveils the the dagger. The knife is a Chris and knife. She's like, "It's it was meant to be a gift for." You. you and your son. And she's like, do you know what this is? And Lady Jessica's like, yeah, I know what it is. It's Chris knife. It's, um... God, there's, some, knife. there's something specific she says. And I should have fucking written it, down, written it down, but I didn't. It's a knife carved from the... The teeth of... The teeth of... Uh, Shadud Sh- Hudlid. Is their, their, their name... The Chakosa name Shalud. for... Shalud, yeah. Shalud Hudlid. No. I know I wrote this fucking Shai Hulud. Shai Hulud. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought it was Shai Hulud. Yeah. Or Shai Hulud or... Whatever the fuck. And it's their, their, the Chikosa name for the sandworms. 
I could have sworn I had it up here. Okay. So I ended up finding the actual transcript of the entire movie. Somebody like wrote down all the dialogue and all everything that happens in the movie. It's not in like actual like script format, but they just posted it online. I'm trying to find the actual the actual quote. Yeah, cuz it's it's something very poignant to the point where the woman like screams out in like excitement. And I should have written it down, but I didn't. Shout out uh Mapes is her name. Um, and shout out. It's an old Chicosa word meaning well dipper. You are Fremen. And she, the shout out is like, you know, the ancient language. I know many things. I know that you have a weapon concealed in your bo- on your body. And she makes this hand signal for weight. Um, the woman unfails the, or un, unfurls. unfurls the weapon and says, you know what this is? Yes, it's a Chris knife. Do you know its meaning? And then she signals to the guard to be ready because it me- could she could unfurl the knife and just stab Lady Jessica. And, uh, and the, say, the Lady Jessica says, it's the maker. Uh, and then this is where uh, the lady screams out like, ah! and it's very similar to the book. It, it, out of context, it looks fucking dopey as shit. But being who the Fremen people are and knowing that an outsider knows their ways is very fucking jarring and exciting for them. Because it's, right. it's been... Uh, it's been prophesized that, that someone some from the outsider outside would come and know their ways. Uh, and then she goes on to say, a maker of the deep desert. When you have lived with the prophecy, for, this is what Shout Out says, when you've lived with the prophecy for so long, for so long, the moment of revelation is a shock. And then they go move on. She gives Lady Jessica the, uh, the uh, tooth of Shay Hudlud and... Um, Shai Hulud. Shai Hulud. Sh- fuck. Shai Hulud. Um... And tells her it's the, the tooth of Shai Halud and hands her the Chris, and names it. Obviously, already knows that it's a Chris knife. Um, and I think the scene moves on. Yeah, and then it, I believe it goes to Paul. Yeah, he's just like everybody, or they're closing all the doors, and Paul is like out in the. Yeah, so we get a small before this. We get a small scene of the Duke and Gurney just looking out at the cityscape. And uh, one of the servants says, we need to get inside. It's almost midday. It gets really hot at the middle of the day on this planet. They're like, all right. And as they're about to close up all the shutters, we get this, the exchange between Duke. And I don't know why, but it stuck out in my head. But it's of um, the Duke asks Gurney, what do they say about uh, showering on Arrakis? And Gurney's like, uh, that you wash your ass with sand. And then they just move on and go in. And while everyone's inside being cooled off from the heat that's outside, we see Paul outside just wandering in this like main courtyard area with all these palm trees. The date trees is what they call date them. trees. And he sees a man just um, sprinkling water around like the base of the tree, not too far away from the tree, just around the base of it. And uh, she's, Paul walks up to one, like pass it on the trunk, and is like, "You don't see these here too often, do you? They're, these aren't native." And the the gardener or keeper of this land is like, no, no, these were brought in forever ago. And then he, he says, also says that they drink like the water of five men a day. Each tree drinks like the fa- water of five yeah. men a day. And Paul's like, well, and the, well, then the guy who finishes off is like two hundred men a week or some shit like that. Well, and that's that's like he's counting them or whatever, and he's like, you know, there's. These trees claim the lives of 200 men a week, and 
uh, Paul's just like, well, why don't you chop them down? He's like, oh, we can't do that. They're sacred. Yeah, old dream. Uh, the, I, they, the, the, the old dream he's talking about is that the, the original idea of Arrakis was to cultivate it and terraform it and try to turn right. it into a hospitable planet for people to live and thrive on. And then they found the spice. And then all that went to fucking shit. And all that went to, never mind, yes. mind the spice. Yeah, and then they kept the palm trees around as a reminder, oh, we had an idea for this planet. Of that old dream. Yep. And um, Paul is basically like, but they wouldn't, or the only reason they survive is because of you. And the gardener's like, yep, <laughs> you should go inside. It's hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we then cut to later in the day, and he's in his room. <laughs> he, he just fucks off. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're probably right. <laughs> and he's in his room. Um, he's just, uh, and then we see him Watching with Watching a video book. Uh, the film book. Or film book. Um, and it's just about Arrakis, about the sandworms. And before we get into the scene, we actually see, like, a big, like, uh, like metal ta- tapestry of, like, the sandworms on Arrakis. I, I know there's a specific name for that type of artwork. I want to say, like, in relief type artwork. Yeah. Something kind of. along those lines. Yeah, because it's very, like, uh, almost 3D-esque, out, like, coming at you type shit. Yeah, I, I well, it's, it it's like, embossed. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And it's just of a big sandworm on the dune itself. Um, and then he's uh, looking over uh, a film book of all the sandworms and Arrakis and about the plant life on Arrakis, about the very little plant yeah, life. Yeah, it's talking about the plant life. And Then uh, he sees a kangaroo mouse. Yep. In the video footage, and, and he it walks makes up him to smile, him. Yes. And, and then while he's looking at it, in burrows into his room a hunter seeker. And I guess this is where the hunter, the the voiceover, would, probably would have came in handy, right? Um, because we just see Paul just standing there. And if you don't know what in context what this means for any of it, you don't understand what happens here in a few seconds. You're like, why is this a thing? Yes. So. Um, Paul's standing very still. He obviously knows what it is. Well, he... Because the only thing the thing catches is him blinking. He doesn't move at all. He blinks. The thing, boot, turns around and beelines it to to his eyeball. Well, right, right. But he, like, he sees it coming and he steps into the... Like, like more into the light of the the video that's Yeah, playing. the video book. Hologram, showing, yeah. It's, it's like a hologram... A hologram version of a projection, the plant life. Yes, like just a. So he's kind of trying like to hide in the light. Tree. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to hide in the midst of this bush. Yeah, much like the kangaroo mouse that he just saw. Right. Um. But yeah, Paul's just watching it very closely, and it's a very like it's. I'd say it's no bigger than say like a, a stink bug. Yeah. Um. If you know Super those are, tiny. just very tiny, just it with like a the the nose of a mosquito. Um, and it's just or a hummingbird or a hummingbird, very similar. Um, it's just hovering around. Actually, I would say that it's about the size of a hummingbird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say maybe a bit smaller. Uh, yeah, a baby hummingbird. Yeah, yeah. very tiny one. Um, but yeah, it's just floating around the room, just searching the room. And then Paul's not moving, but he blinks, and the thing catches him blinking, and it fucking immediately turns around and beelines it right to his eye, stops centimeters, millimeters, fucking a cunt's hair away from injecting itself into Paul. And he stops completely. And then the door opens. It beelines it around Paul towards the door. Paul catches it, very similar to what we got in the 84 version, and smashes it into the wall. And in come into the room. And I guess it's my, there were a bunch of scenes I did read that there were cut out of the actual movie. And we don't really get more of this. We see Shadow 
come into Paul's room, very similar to what we get in the book. Right. Um, and in the 84 version. And in the 84 version. She's like, that would have killed me. Yes. And she... And uh, he's like, yeah. As a way to repay him for res- or saving her from certain death, she tells him uh, something that's going to happen. But, There's a traitor in your midst. Right. But we don't get that in this. Right. Uh, we cut to later in the day, and I guess all his like top generals... Or no, no, no. It's... um. That everybody trying to figure out what the fuck just happened. They Hunter Secret was just found in Paul's room. Tariff is walking up to the Duke and he tells them we have something. They walk into this one corridor and they're talking about this is a fucking Harkening guy that fucking decided to stay in the, this wall for six weeks until we got here. And then once Paul or someone was in the room, controlled the Hunter Secret to get into the room. And Tariff is like, I'd like to offer my resignation. I should have saw this. I should weeks have known ago. this. And the Duke's just like, no. And he's like, but what about my pride? He's like, to hell with your pride. You want absolution? My son son was almost killed. You want absolution? (laughs) Find who did it. And Tariff is like, fuck it. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Okay. (laughs) He fucks off. Um, We cut to later in the day. And then this is where we got all like the top generals and captains. Um, It's a bunch of like... Is military it? men in a room because Paul walks in. Gurney says, "Oh, there he is, the killer of the Hunter Seeker." Um, I I want to say that um, isn't Duncan back? Like I think Duncan comes back because no. I'm pretty sure he's in that meeting, isn't he? No, I don't think so. I think the Duncan scene's like two scenes from now, or maybe wanna, immediately after the scene. I want to say he was here. No, no, it's, it's the scene after, because uh, we get this scene, because then they're talking about, okay, where are we at with Spice, and then we cut to outside, and because uh, while they're talking about the silos for the Spice and how they're nearly depleted because the Harkonnens, what the Harkonnens did is what we did in Afghanistan whenever we left. Yeah, it may have been a shit show, but a lot of the equipment we left there, we destroyed a lot of it. So whenever the Afghan, uh, uh, the the Taliban went in to start you know, utilizing the equipment, a lot of it was shit missing broke. shit. Yes, um, the Harkonnens did the same thing with Arrakis. They just left a lot of the equipment either broke or in disarray, or took a lot of the spice to Getty Prime. So uh, we have this meeting in the room. Uh, Duke comes in, pats Paul on the chest. They go and through it's the conversation. Paul's first, like briefing. Yeah, and they're just assessing about what's going on, what's working, what isn't working. How much? And this is where we get the how much is how much spice do we need to start producing? All that. Um, I think uh, Gurney makes a claim about how they're going to be rich beyond their dreams type thing. And then we cut to outside the silos and it's just fucking barren. There are like six silos that have maybe half in each tank. And Tarf is like, we need to get those uh, harvesters off the ground. We need to fill these every 25 days. And then, um, God, what was her name? And then um, uh, Duke is like, all right, uh, so uh, the Emperor gave the Harkonnens uh, an expert on Arrakis. Who was it? And uh, Tarf is like, oh, Dr. Uh, Lyette Keynes. Um, the doctor's been here for 20 years. We don't see that it's a woman until later. Um, and then they're like having this conversation. like, I want to go to one of the harvesters. And Tarf's like, no, that isn't a good idea. And Duke's like, I don't care. Get the doctor here, and I want to go see one of these harvesters in action. And then we see that um, Tarf has a communication because they have these like uh, bone conduction, uh, like communicators on yeah. like the uh, behind their ears. He touches that behind his ear. Um, his eyes go white, and then they drop back down. And he's like, uh, "Sire, he's here." And then this is where Duncan That's comes right. back. 
Oh, that was a long-winded way to say uh, right after this uh, scene. Um, so yeah, Duncan comes back. Uh, we see oh, they're in like the main airfield, air and we see like the the main like uh, or Duncan's ornithopter land. Uh, he says uh, some a few things in Chakosa to a few men that were with him. He then runs up to Paul. Him and Paul hug like they haven't seen each other in fucking years. It's only been a few weeks. And I think Duncan says something like, you got taller or something. He says, my boy again as well. And he's like, whenever he puts him down after they hug, he's like, you got taller. Well, no, he he says something like... Whenever they like, first greet each other, there's one thing that they also say. Like on a, uh, a Kaladin, uh, Duncan's like, hey, you put on some muscle. And, and uh, Paul's like, really? And Duncan's like, no. And then they move on and have their conversation. Well, yeah, they, they tease each other in very like brotherly ways. And he says something similar here. Like yeah. he says something to Paul about how he's still like a shrimp or something yeah, yeah. and Paul's like and you need a shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh we then cut to um like in this main like uh staging area. I don't know. It's like with a big table. I guess like his re- the the duke's receiving area, if you will. Yeah. And Duncan's telling him about what happened while he's been here, about how he's been stationed with the Fremen, about how the people, uh, the Fremen people live in these, what are, they call them sieges? They call them sieges. Like yeah. these underground cities where there are thousands of them throughout the entire planet. And he says, I was in this one particular siege. With this gentleman named Stilgar. I think he says his name. Yeah, with, with Stilgar. And the, Duncan um, has basically fully immersed him. He's when we first see him, he's got the beard and everything. This time when we're seeing him, he's it's not a full beard. It's like a little like five o'clock shadow he's got going on. Yeah, it's still beard dish. Right. Um, he gets full on naked later on. Not full like body naked. His face just turns naked um, later, like in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he's like, yeah, Stilgar. He actually came to see you. And he's like, well, how many how many stitches are there? And he's like... Sieges. Or sieges are there. He's like, lots. Yes. And they all hold this many freemen or fremen? Fremen. And he's like, yeah. And then I want to say the Duke looks at... Um, I think Gurney. Is it Gurney or is it uh, Tar... Tarif. Whatever he looks at one of them, like damn, that's a he lot looks, of people. He looks at one of them and is like the whoever he looks at looks at him and is like, "You were right, Duke." Like, <laughs> that is desert power, yeah. and then because uh, yeah, he also yeah, that's the one thing he also mentions. He's like, "They're very strong people, and they fight like demons." He's like, and Duke says, "Desert power." That's one of the things because the idea of this mo- the the House of Trades is that he keeps gaining power and power and power or, or gaining love. From the people, because he's a decent guy. He's not one of these rulers that just wants to have people under his foot. He's a he actually cares about his a people. noble person. Um, so he's gaining the love from a lot of people, and, and that's what he wants to gain on Arrakis. He wants to gain the love of the the people of this desert, and he wants to gain the desert power because he, he he mentions on Caladan the House of Arrakis is able to uh, harness wind power, water power. How I just need this we desert have, power. We have air superiority and water superiority here. But we won't have that whenever we go to Arrakis because yeah. they don't have water. Either. Well, they have air, but they don't have... Uh, they don't have water, so yeah. there's nowhere for our Navy to be. So yeah. we'll have to replace it with something to keep ourselves safe. Yeah. I think that we should do it with desert power yeah. type thing. Um, but then... One of their servants comes in and he's like, 
sire, he's not giving up his knife. And Duke leans over, he's like, it's a Chris knife, it's well, sacred to their people. Not the Duke. Um, or Duncan. Duncan. Yeah. At this or at that point, Duncan's like, Stilgar came with me. He wants to meet you. Yeah. And that's when the, like... Servant. Servant, handmaiden, like I'm Whatever not sure fuck. what to call. Yeah. It's like, he won't give up his dagger. And Duncan leans over. He's like, that's, that's a Chris knife. It's sacred to his people. It's It's... Not really like it's a weapon, but it's more ceremonial than it is for practical use. Yes, and the Duke's like, "That's fine. Let him come in." Yep. And he just marches, and he marches right, right up to him. Javier Bardem as fucking Stillgard. I love this casting. He just marches right in. He get they tell him to stop at like the halfway point of the, and he just corridor. keeps going. And the Duke's like, "Whatever, right it's fine." Uh, we see Gurney Walks. like grab his knife on his hip, and he's like, "Hey, hey, hey!" You stop. He stops right there at the edge of the table, um, and then they all and, he, and Gurney puts his knife away. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, the Duke's like, "You know, I hope we can be friends," and, kind of thing. Yeah. And Stogar just stares at him, and he's like, okay. And then finally he just (laughs) (laughs) fucking spits at him. Not at him, on the table. Or yeah, on the table. On the table. (laughs) And And Josh Brolin's like, "Uh -uh! (laughs) uh-uh! Not Not today! (laughs) You just play fuck around and find out! (laughs) (laughs) I love that we both had the same sentiment. (laughs) Uh, but uh, yes, Gurney immediately reaches for his knife again, and Duncan like calms in. He's like, "Hold on!" And it's like, like reaches basically like you probably haven't had the experience yet because the kids aren't quite old enough. But like, whenever you first have them in your front seat and uh, stuff, yeah. and you slam on the brakes and your arm goes to protect them, yeah. like the 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 parent seat belt is what I like to call it, <laughs> yeah. where it's just like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> yeah. Like if you have to hit the brakes too too hard yeah. or harder than you were expecting to like you you try to save whatever's next to you yeah kind of does that to the duke to get to gurney and is like we thank you for your gift of your body's water <laughs> and then we, also spits. we accept <laughs> we accept your offering in the manner that it was meant to be accepted, <laughs> Gurney. I'm looking at you, you <laughs> fucking psychopath. Put your knife away, and then he spits on the table. And then the Duke's like, "I guess we're doing this now." Okay, <laughs> spits on the table as well. Well, first he like, he hawks himself up a a most dukely loogie. <laughs> yes. Um, and then Stilgard basically tells them, is like, look, you want to come here and mine the spice? Fine, by all means, but keep, leave my people alone. You go out in the desert, you mine your spice, you go back to your cities. Outside of that, leave my people, the desert, and our sieges alone. Or sieges alone. And Duke's like, well, I, the well, emperor- no, he's he says basically, he's like, get the fuck off my planet, and he's like, well, I can't do that. I didn't think it was off my planet. No, I it, thought it was. It was. It was basically like, stay out of the desert, that belongs to us. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, I can't, because the Duke sent me here to mine spice, but I can promise you this, that no one from House Atreides will interfere with the Fremen. Like, you guys, like, as long as you don't attack us, 
we will not like no no fremen will be harmed by us here yeah and he also mentions like i know your last uh ma- or he doesn't say master he says like the last people that inhabited this planet were a bit harsh to you if it's in my ability i will i will do what i can to help you to help you anyway that is in my ability to do so right um and uh still guard he's like all right that's fine and then he just walks away. <laughs> He's like, I'm done here. <laughs> okay. And then Paul's like, why don't you stay? Let us honor you um, like you should be. And still guy's like, look, I'm honor bound somewhere else. And looks at Paul and he's like, I know who you are. I got to be somewhere else. But then he's like, I've seen your face. Yeah, in like Chikosa or whatever the fuck. Um, he doesn't outright say it. He just says it in a language that no one understands in that room. And then he just walks away. Duke is told that um, uh, she's here. They walk up, and it's uh, Dr. Layette Kynes, I think. Yeah, Kynes. Um, and it's um, Max, Vine, Max von Sydow played him played the character in the 84 version of the movie. In the book, he was a man. I really like the gender swap in this movie because I really enjoy this actress. And she, it's a very similar scene that we got in the 84 version. Uh, he's telling, uh, she's telling uh, Duke and Gurney and Paul that... Um, Arrakis Desert's very harsh. That's why you have these still suits on. Um, before we go out, let me check your still suits. And it's very similar. She checks the Duke and then she Gurney. goes to check the Duke. And then everybody like starts jump, going to like stop her. And the Duke's like, no, no, hold on. We're here at her, at her, uh, n- I guess knowledge or intellect or whatever the fuck she can do what she needs right, to, we're to check her, her suits. We're here for her knowledge. Yeah. Like, if she wanted to kill me, there's probably easier ways than this. <laughs> Checking a steel suit, yeah. Um, so she checks it out, tightens a few things, adjusts it, and explains what a steel suit can do. It uh, filters all the sweat off your body and then filters it through the actual suits, putting it very similar to what we got in the 84 version of her explaining everything to Gurney and the Duke. And then she goes to check out Paul, and he has already configured it to desert weather, and she's amazed by this. Very similar to what we got in the first one. Well, she doesn't say anything about the suit. But she says something about his boots. Uh, no, she I says think. the entire suit. Oh. Yeah, because she, she starts looking him over and she says, yeah, she starts with the suit, goes with the boots, saying well, that they thought, are equipped for sand. She said, she said something about the boots being equipped for sand. Like, who told you to do that? Yeah. And he's like, no, like, have you worn is this suit before? No. And, well, who First told time. You, who told you to do that? Like, well, I thought that was just the way to... Like it seemed like the most correct way to wear it. Was I wrong? And she's like, "No, you're one hundred percent right." Yeah. And then in Chikasa, she says, "He will know your ways yeah. without, or know your ways as if he is one of you." Yeah, or yeah, something yeah. Like the, that. To something to that extent. Um, and then uh, we cut to them on the uh, ornithopter, and and I love these fucking. Flying machines, they're so fucking goddamn elegant looking. Everything looks great yes. in this. Like the fucking armor that all the soldiers wear. Yeah, the, everything. Like, the the Sarakar later on. Um, the the so, armor that they wear whenever they show up to the planet. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And then we also get uh, one of his dreams later on in the movie is uh, him fighting with the Fadikin, um, his elite guard that he ends up training later on in the book. And mm. we get in a little bit in the movie, in the 84 version of the movie. And I'm assuming we'll get it in the next one because the part two has been greenlit. They are going right. to make part two. Um, uh, so that we get a small scene of him fighting. And the suits that they have in that small sequence 
look great as well. This entire movie is fucking gorgeous mm-hmm. to look at. Um, <clears throat> but I think no, I think it's in between. Uh, but yeah, we see them in the ornithopter. Uh, Doctor Leia Kynes is basically explaining Arrakis to them from the sky um, about certain storms that hit uh, out in the desert. About what these uh, harvesters do and how they, uh, if a sandworm does end up attacking their facility, how they, how they work, yeah, how they get them out, all that, um, and then they roll up to this one uh, or fly up to this one oh, uh, and like, harvester. How how often do sandworm attacks happen? And she's like, every time, yep, uh, every time, uh, like clockwork, because they come to the sound. They they follow tremors logic, so they come to whatever's making. The sound, and they also have. I want to say it's in the same. It's just a little something that was part of the scene. Whenever it's talking about um, the plant life stuff, um, it shows the way that the fremen walk. Oh yeah, the, the sand, sand walk. Um, it's called the sand walk. Yeah, when we like, get to it, I wrote down the actual steps that they take. It's more like where... more like a dance than yeah. uh than just walking because it quote unquote mimics the natural movements of the desert sands yep um once we get to that part and he explains it i'll explain like the steps and stuff they do as best i can um anyway uh so yeah they're hovering around this one harvester and then they all they see off in the distance a bunch of sand and stuff being kicked up and they're like oh shit clearly a sandworm there's the worm and we should get this harvester these out are here. the little things that go around looking for worm sign yeah yeah we see the little like orb things like yeah. weird almost like a wheel shape come out and like just constantly looking for signs of a sandworm um so yeah they see the sandworm it starts coming closer and closer they tell the i can't remember the actual name of the extractor to get the harvester out of the uh path of the sandworm but they uh order it to come by it goes to the harvester starts unfurling and like oh you see like the main four cables start latching to each corner of the harvester and then the last one goes out and stops halfway they reel it back in try it again fails again and they're like fuck we're not gonna be able to get this off the ground with only three markers on and uh, the hydraulics are out like we can't fix this in time we need another extractor to come yeah, and they extract this. <clears throat> and I think they say that like we don't have any available or any working at this point. The next one's like 20 minutes out or yeah. something like that. And it's like, well, the sandworm's going to be here in five. Yep. Uh, and then the Duke basically gets on the comm. He's like, I order all of you to get the fuck out of there now. And uh, initially they don't <laughs> do anything. They just start trying to keep Well, harvesting. no, they... Uh... The Duke's like, well, we have to do something. And there's like four ornithopters that came with them. Yeah. Or three. And theirs. Yeah, yeah. Because he looks at the doctor and is like, how many people are on that? And she's like, it's a full crew of 21. Yeah. And he's trying to do the math. And he's like, each of these can hold five. Yeah, something. And Paul's like, we're still too short. And then uh, the Duke's like, we'll find a way. And he just lands. And as he lands, Gurney's—it's Gurney or maybe it's Paul—that says something about the uh, like shield bays or something. Each weigh like ten pounds, and the Duke's like, "Fucking throw them out! Just chuck them!" Yeah. And 
tells Paul that he wants him outside guiding people in. Yeah, but not to stray too far away from the actual ornithopter. And then he gets on and he's like, this is is Duke Atreides, like... And he says his full name. (laughs) Get get the fuck out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Duke Leto Atreides. Yeah. um, I'm ordering you to abandon your ship and... They're like, well, we can't because the spice. And he's like, to hell with the spice. <laughs> Which is what we also get in the original. Like, yeah, yeah. this is him um, putting people over putting profit. people over the profit. Yes, yeah. it's it's a very fucking nice scene to see. Um, so yeah, we see all these men, all these like harvest workers, just barreling out of this harvester. They all are getting ushered in. As Paul is starting to wait for guys to come in on his uh, ornithopter, he then starts feeling funny and then we recognize we see all this shimmering in the air and all this harvesting has kicked up a bunch of spice he's in the air breathing in the spice yep uh so he's tripping balls at this point and he's just wandering through this entire commotion everything's happening we see gurney ushering people on we see the um sandworm getting closer and closer and closer and then as and in the same moment uh paul's also having a dream while he's awake yeah and he's having similar dreams that he had before of this woman out in the desert, um, just ushering him along. I think we hear uh, Jamis speaking at one point, like a little bit, along with Stilgar. But then uh, we cut to uh, Gurney is looking for Paul, and he's not sure where he is. We see well, all the sand starting to kick up around them. They can't really see too far in front of them. They're loading up or getting ready to leave, and Gurney's like, Paul, Paul. Paul, like Paul's not back yet, so yep. he goes out looking for him, finds him really close to the extractor or the yeah. He's like kneeling in front the of miner, the, the harvester, the harvester. Yeah, he's like right next to it. He literally just poked the wheel that he's next to, and as Gertie runs up behind him, yeah, they're trying, they're rushing to get to it because they he, see the sandworm in the distance getting closer and closer and closer, and then it's like right he on top of says, them. I think he says Gurney. And then I know your footsteps or something. Yeah, yeah. As Gurney grabs him and ushers him to Picks him up like, off the ground. Like, and- get your shit together, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> right. Um, they're running away from the harvester. And as they do, the sand starts getting looser and looser to a point where every step they, get, they take, they get deeper and deeper in the sand. Thus indicating the sandworm is nearly there, starting to suck in the harvester as it, it nearly gets there. Um, they're struggling through the sand. They think they're basically going to get, um, I guess, eaten by the sandworm, but then they muscle through it, and they get back on the ornithopter. They get up into the air. They see the sandworm, this giant-ass sandworm, much bigger, and Dr. Leia's, uh, Leia Kine says as much. He's like, that's much bigger than the regular ones, um, and it swallows this harvester whole. We cut to them on like a landing pad of some sort. Paul comes uh, stumbling out of the ornithopter, Duke gets out of the pilot seat, walks around the ornithopter. He's like, what the fuck was that? I need you around me at all times. You're too important to be doing stupid shit like that. And just basically tells him, like, this was dumb. Why did you do this? This was reckless of you. He's like, oh. Yeah. Um, I think the next scene is them, uh, Dr. UA, just working him over. Yeah, checking him over. Because Lady Jessica's a bit concerned. And Paul's like, I'm fine. It wasn't an allergic reaction. I was just tripping <laughs> i took in a bunch of spice and yeah i was high as fuck out there and he's and ua says you know not everybody in the universe is affected by spice like only certain people are and you're just one of the lucky ones and paul's like oh great <laughs> yeah 
Um, we did, oh, before we cut to Paul being worked over by the doctor, we get the Duke looking at Dr. Lea Kynes, and Paul, or the Duke just lays it out for us. Like, we were set up to fucking fail, weren't we? And Dr. Lea is like, I, I'm ordered by the Emperor not to say anything. So indicating she knows something. She's just not, she's duty-bound not to tell the Duke any of it. And the Duke's like, he doesn't say it, but he has a look like, fuck, I'm correct. We were set up to fail this entire time. No matter what we do, something's going to happen at some point. We're fucked. Um, we then cut to Paul being worked over by the doctor. Um, I believe the next scene is um, on um, uh, the Sardaukar's uh, planet. I thought I wrote yes. it down. Um, the Sardaukar's planet is Seleucia Secundus. Is there a planet name? And we just see a bunch of like menacing looking motherfuckers and like uh gray and white garb being trained we see um do you know who saint peter is uh from like the catholic religion kind of do you know how he was crucified no well i don't remember i'm sure i knew at one point all right i'm gonna ask you again because he just stomped right through you talking um uh, but do you know who St. Peter is? I know of him, but I don't remember much about him. Okay. Um, so St. Peter, whenever he was crucified, you know, praising God and shit, he was crucified upside down. So um, if you ever see like an image of a man like back in the um, olden days, Ryan, um, of a man being crucified up da- upside down, it's the St. Peter crucifixion. And it's it's him sprayed out in like a cross form. Or not a cross form, but like in an X form. Um, mm. legs are spread out. It's not like Christ where both legs are together and then nailed with right. an arm spread out and everything. It's in an X form, only upside down. We see a bunch of like bodies on like these stone uh, pyramids splayed out like that with like blood being drained from their bodies. We don't know what for. I don't remember this being in the book, but it sounds vaguely uh, similar because we get an instant of the Sardaukar in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Piter uh, with the like I guess the lead guy of the Sardaukar negotiating with Piter and uh, House Harkonnen. And Piter's like, look, you were told we would give you so much like money and spice if you help us out. And the guy's like, fine. I'm not a huge fan of this, but it doesn't matter. And Piter's like, well, before you agree to this, you should know this House Atreides, they've got fierce fighters. And the guy's like, look, we're fucking Sardaukans. We, we don't care about fighters. Yes, they're insignificant to us. We're the best fighters. Um, we see a bunch of like them training and stuff, and it's very like visceral and like like vicious. When you see a bunch of them kneeling, like they're walking through ones that are like sitting down and getting yeah. like face paint, yeah, on them. And, yeah, they're in like a gray white garb with like three bloodlines on their chest. Like a whole headpiece over their uh, heads and everything, very similar, like almost like a futuristic um, spacesuit. Yeah. After the Sardaukar, oh, we cut to it's just them winding down from the day. Yeah, like Gurney and Paul are sitting there talking to, to Duncan, a, a very <laughs> shaved Duncan, uh, just completely bald Duncan. This is the Duncan we get for the rest of the movie. Um, he has no facial hair whatsoever. It's a bit, for me, it's a bit jarring. I don't hold that much regard when it comes to facial hair. I have facial hair. I don't have a full beard. When I have a full beard, it looks very terroristy, so I don't do it. I just do the, the technically it's called a Van Dyke, but most people refer to it as a goatee. Goatee right. is just the 
chin part. Right. I know. I'm Van Dyke is the full thing, but yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Ryan has a full beard, and he's very proud of that beard. So it's been said and like shown in memes and stuff that like beards are makeup for men. Yeah. And over the past few years, you've been seeing and, a lot of like beard care products coming out. And I agree with that. Like beard, like with a beard, I look like a man. If I shave down to nothing and have nothing here, I look like a twelve-year-old. <laughs> I have a very, very young face. Yes. Jason Momoa without a beard, like with a beard. <clears throat> He can, <laughs> he can get it. That grunt was like, he could fucking hate fuck me all yeah, he wants. He could get it. That's what I'm saying. He could get it. Fully straight man, but Jason Momoa with a <laughs> Roll beard. dog that shit. Yeah, he could, he could get it. Okay. Him without a beard? I would face fuck him and move on. <laughs> Ugh, no, like no, I wouldn't even do that. Like, ugh. it's bad. It's just bad. It's bad. I don't think it's bad. It, it's it's not what I like when it comes to Jason Momoa. But I'm like, oh, okay. It's honestly like my expectations were kind of tempered a little bit because I had a few friends that had watched this before I had and said that it was awful and it was atrocious. I'm like, it's not that bad. But it's definitely not good. <laughs> yes. It's, um, with me, yeah, it's a lot worse for you. But for me, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, it's more, I'm more interested in how the character's going to be than I am about Jason Momoa. Technically, he's not supposed to be Jason Momoa. I, I mean, get it. <laughs> I know he looks like Jason Momoa okay. early on. Okay, so Harvey Hardass <laughs> with a beard, menacing. Harvey Hardass without a beard, not so menacing. Tell it to James Bond. <laughs> Doesn't have a beard. I Very menacing. <laughs> Not really all that menacing. Really, like just average British guy when he starts definitely not that menacing looking okay beards a don't make a man menacing and secondly whenever he whenever Bond starts uh, tearing through motherfuckers left and right he's menacing and he doesn't have a beard okay name me five other badasses who don't have beards uh Bruce Wayne um Superman um Superman's not a badass he's an alien the badass I is will, just a moniker. I will give you Batman because he's human. Give oh, me so you like just want humans. humans. Yeah. All right. Uh, Martian Manhunter, Marvin the Martian. <laughs> All right. So we have Batman. We have uh, John Wick. Uh, John Wick has a, a, a Van Dyke. Does he? Yes. I thought he had just had like stubble. No. Like th- that was the most he had. All right. Um, uh, 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 John McClane. What are you going to say about him? I don't remember him ever having a beard. It's more okay, stubble John, than anything. John McClane has alopecia. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> a pass. He's bald. <laughs> All right. Luke Skywalker? Not a badass. Yes, he is. Especially in Return of the Jedi? Alien. With magic powers. But he's human. No, he's not. He's an alien. But he's human. They, no, he's not. The, the he's Humans human. are from Earth. No, no, not in the Star Wars universe. And technically, we're called Terrans, but 
the scientists have uh, theorized that there are other humans in the universe. So, Luke Skywalker works. No. Um, all right. Oh, okay. So, just on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> See, you keep, uh, like... Shifting the goalposts? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm blanking on other, like... Uh, uh, okay. Uh, well, she can't really grow a beard, but I was going to say Wonder Woman. <laughs> Like Gal Gadot. Also, not human. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Amazonian. Not human. Oh, God. Let's see. Um, Hal Jordan. John Stewart. <laughs> Guy Gardner. <laughs> Once again, all of them have their powers. But they're all human. They're all human. <laughs> all of you their, said human. All you of their badass. Say. None of them are badass by themselves. You said human and from Earth. You never said about their abilities. None of, their, of abilities their abilities are theirs. <laughs> they inherit them from a fucking lantern. Like we just said, you keep moving the goalpost. All I'm saying. You, you are picking people specifically that like... <laughs> aren't badasses in there like Batman? I 100% give to you. Badass. Okay. Uh Nightwing? <laughs> now you're just Jason Todd. I'm gonna name all of them that don't have beards. They're all badasses. Red Hood. Uh, what are, he has Red a beard. Robin. He has a beard under his hood. You don't. You know it. No, we know he mask. doesn't. He's taking the mask off. The from Arc time of Night. Time. He's got a. He's got a full fucking like. <laughs> he doesn't. He's, he's got fucking brains in his beard. <laughs> Viking runes and shit. I'm just saying, a beard is not exclusive to badass to me. What are you? What did you do? She covered it in blood splatter. <laughs> okay. You're a goofball. It's like ten times more terrifying now. <laughs> the only thing that would make it more terrifying is if it had a beard. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, let's All move I'm saying on. is a bearded T-Rex would be terrifying. <laughs> Fight me. <laughs> I would be more intrigued. A, just the idea of a T-Rex would be terrifying. But I'd be more intrigued. Like, why does it have a beard? You would be. Is it the first of its kind? You would be pontificating until it fucking ate you, (laughs) right? Because you'd be like, "Why does it have a beard?" Oh God, I'm being eaten. Badass. (laughs) All I'm saying is, Jason Momoa without a beard, like he loses like ten percent of his badassery. Eh, maybe two percent for me. <laughs> it's, it's a more substantial drop for me. It's not because even without the beard, he starts ripping through motherfuckers here in a right, bit later right. on. He that's why he retains some of it. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Like, you have to have at least stubble. Like, you have to have like a shadow there. Because whenever like you're clean shaven, like. All you want to do is like mm, smooth as a baby's bottom. Like it just because the I'm trying to think of any of the because, Fremen that well, we no, see. Like the skin there is just so well protected by the beard. Whenever you shave it all off, it's like not touched by anything. So it's like fresh new skin. So it's just how do you shave? Maybe I'm shaving wrong because anytime I fucking get done shaving, I still ah! feel. <laughs> like I don't see anything left on me, but I still feel like roughness on my face. <laughs> get get a straight ra- a straight razor shave. Like go to okay. a, go to a barber shop and get a straight razor shave, and you will be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh. So yeah, there's and there and uh, Momo or Duncan is 
basically gushing about the Fremen. Yeah, yeah. He's very happy about the he's friendships like, he's, he's like, made oh, with I the got, Fremen. I got this thing. He hands he Paul a compass. Paul a compass. I forget what he calls it, but it's a specific... It's essentially a compass. Yeah. It's specifically a kind of compass that works here because... Of the magnetic fields. Because so. of the magnetic fields of two moons and stuff. Normal compasses are like, I don't know which way is what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he also talks about a... Uh, what was he? A sand compactor. That's it. Journey's like, what does it do? And he's like, compact sand. Yeah. <laughs> and it just looks it's, like a big, bulky light it's kinda, flashlight. It's kind of all in the name. Yes. <laughs> we don't see it. In- and everybody kind of laughs, and Journey's <coughs> like, oh, that Duncan. Uh, he's like, you love the Fremen, don't you? Yeah. He's like, well, I I respect them. Yeah. Like, they... They're strong people. They're yeah. strong people. They live in a very harsh environment. And, yeah, I, I fought with them. Like, they're... Pretty awesome. They're pretty fucking good. <laughs> um, we then cut to, uh, I think it's uh, Duke in his chamber. Um, just and it, Jessica's trying to get him to lay down, and he's like, "I'm so sorry. I brought you here. We shouldn't. Have I should have married. You. I should have married you. I shouldn't have um, just made had you as my concubine." Um, and she's like, "Look, come over here. Lay down." And he's like, and she offers him a pill to help him sleep. And he's like, "No, no, no, not like that." And she's like, "All right, come here." She kneels on her legs. He puts his hand in her lap, and then she just starts, like, like I guess, petting his head. Just, mm-hmm. like, relaxing him and shit. We then cut to Paul in his room, and he's just looking over a few things. Uh, Dr. Yue brings in a tray of, like, water and a pill for him as well. Something to help him sleep. Um, we then cut to later in the night, and I think it's just... Oh, we see a figure shoot a bunch of guards outside of a room. All of them yeah. drop. The door, oh, or the character, we don't know who it is, walks up to the door, door opens. We see everything just power down. Everything in the hallway, in the room that the guy is in. They cut to outside. We see everything just shut down completely. We then see the figure leave the room. We then cut to inside Duke's room. And he's noticing some sort of, like, rotating flash circling around his outside, like, window, like, slit area. And he gets up, and he looks out, and there's no, like, hum or, like, glow of the city around him. He just sees like that one like warning light like circling around in that one area. Way off in the distance. Way off in the distance. And he immediately is like, shit, something's going on. He goes outside, tries to look for somebody, anybody. He starts trying to hail people on his calm that he has. No, he doesn't, ear. he doesn't try to hail anybody yet. Oh, that's right. He's just looking out. He's and being, then he hears. He's being silent and he hears somebody gasping. Yeah. And he looks down and he sees. Um, uh, shout out. Shout out. Yeah. Before he walks up to her, he puts on a shield as well. You see him tap around well, his right, wrist. but I just want to mention because what come happen. This what is where he later. like touches behind his ear and is like security. Hey, is anybody listening? Yeah, and nobody answers, and then he like forcefully says security, and still nobody answers, and he's like, fine, I'll do it myself, and uh, hits his shield, and then yeah, it's walks like something up. on his wrist. Like they all have it on the wrist. I think uh, we see Barons on like like a finger ring of some sort. Yeah, he just like taps it. Doesn't have to move much, just his fucking finger. Um, but yeah, he activates it. You see it shimmer on all over him. He walks up to the body that's choking on the ground. He rolls the person over. Sees it shout out, um, Mapes, I think is her name. Um, sees that Who's she's got dying. a fucking dagger stuck, stuck to her, to her chest. chest. Uh, she has blood all over her hands, puts her hands on his shoulder. Hand leaves his shoulder. He's just got like a bloody handprint on his shoulder. He's like, he has this like, what the fuck is going on? Who did this to you? And as he's trying to figure out what is going on, 
he hears a shot ring out, and then he feels something burrowing into his shield, and he tries to reach it. It's just at that point. Anybody like knows that right point. In, right in the middle of your back where you can't just, reach it no matter it's how. just out of reach for whatever, any which way he tries to go for it. It's just not fucking, he's not getting to it. And then eventually he punctures his shield. Well, he turns around and looks for the shooter, doesn't see him anywhere. Yeah. And, and then it burrows in. And then it burrows in and actually hits him. Um, he drops to the ground, or drops like it almost like pushes him back. Or like, I think he, he gets injected, whatever it is, and then he stumbles backwards. Yeah, I think so. Hits the ground, and it's basically near death at this point, just staring off. And up walks Doctor Ua. Doctor Ua pulls him off to the side, leans him up against the wall, and just explains to him like, "Look." I did this because I had to save my wife. They have my wife. They said if I help them get here, that you uh, that they'd free my wife. Uh, all I had to do was betray you people. Um, he then says, "But I have another thing I want to do." And he shows him, like you can be uh, the killer of House Harkonnen or whatever the fuck. And he's like, "I'm going to give you this tooth. I'm going to take out one of your incisors and replace it with this. All you have to do is crunch down." I think he says like with like little pressure. And then just expel the gas, and you'll kill the Baron. It will be your last breath, but you will do something good with it. Yeah. Um, he do, He switches out the tooth. We then cut to someone... He wh- says that he'll do what he can for Jessica and Paul. Yeah, he takes off the Dusail uh, Signet, or Signet, or, or whatever the fuck it is. Um, he says, for Paul, stashes away. And then we cut to someone running up to Gurney in his bunk. Um, we have someone running up to Gurney in his bunk, just waking him up. He turns over. He and a bunch of men run out into like the main like uh, like uh, airfield, like where they basically prepare for battles and shit. Like they see a bunch of like the rigs and stuff, and then they just see a bunch of Harkonnen ships descending upon them. They see a bunch of them like dropping these bombs that just burrow into the shields onto each rig that the uh, Trades have, like slowly burrow into the shields, and then. Bam, right into the uh, rigs themselves, blowing them up. Um, And then they just see a bunch of soldiers descend on the field. They see all these airships just dropping fucking bombs. And Gurney just yells at all the troops, like, get everything with weapons off the ground. Yep. Um, And it's just mass chaos all over the place. Things are exploding. People are dying. We see Gurney run up to, like, a, a Harkonnen ship that just drops to the ground, lands, and we see, like, a couple guys exit the rig. He just runs up to him, takes him out real quick, looks back at his men. He's like, come on. And they all start like charging at the rest of the uh, Harkonnen men and uh, Sardarkon or Sardarkar that are. Uh, no, descend- Sardarkars aren't there yet. I thought they were. No. I thought that was a, like on this field is like a mixture of both. No, it's just the the Harkonnen people because then the Sardarkon like drop behind them. No, I thought that was two different scenes. So we have Gurney and his men out in this airstrip field attacking all the Harkonnen. I don't think that... And then there's another set of, like, Atreides soldiers fighting off Harkonnen soldiers on, like, steps inside the facility. Right, that's what I'm saying. And then right behind them, when they think they've bested the Harkonnen soldiers, and then right behind these soldiers, Gurney's not with them. I know that much because Gurney makes it to the next movie. Um, And then right behind them descends a bunch of, like, Sarkonnen, or uh, Sardaukar. Um, and it just lays waste to the uh, Atreides men. Yeah. Um, and we just see, it's very, I know I keep making this comparison off and on, 
Um, but it's very Star Wars where you have the stormtroopers just marching on the Jedi Temple in Episode 3, where you just have them side by side just marching up and just laying waste to anybody that gets in their way. I know, I don't want to hear anything, I know Star Wars was heavily influenced to Frank Her- from uh, Frank Herbert and his work in Dune and all that. I don't want to hear it. It's just, that's the closest example I can give you that I know of a lot of people have seen. Right. Um, oh, so we have, uh, I think it's like a, a Harkonnen soldier entering Jessica's bed or bedroom. Uh, she's not awake. And we have another one and, uh, enter Paul's. <clears throat> Both are not awake. They don't wake up at all, but we cut to later on. And I think this is one of the major cuts that they made in the movie. Um, uh, cause we don't get the scene that we got in the 84 version. And it's definitely in the book of whenever, uh, Baron basically, taunts lady jessica in the movie he spits in her face in the book i don't remember him ever spitting on her just a little spittle yeah uh in the 84 movie he spits on her uh in the and i, I kind of wish we would have gotten the scene with dave desmalchen as piter but um we don't get that scene of piter saying i'm not supposed to kill you but i would love to fucking torture you to lady jessica um, but we don't get any of that. We just get them being put onto uh, Ornithopter with a bunch of Harkonnen men. Um, Lady Jessica's gagged like she is in the uh, 84 movie. Um, Paul's, and they're both kind of like in and out of it. They're kind of like dazed and confused a little bit. Kind of like waking up from their groggy sleep. Because yeah. we've seen, like they cut to before the Harkonnen gets into the room. We cut to them both like, completely out. And we see that Paul and Jessica both have taken a pill and... Uh, knock back some water to help them sleep. So they're not hearing any of this shit going on right. when they're first nabbed. Um, uh, she signals to Paul on the ornithopter saying that the big one with the scar uh, is, is deaf. deaf. Um, we see the ornithopter and they're having, they're basically having an abbreviated conversation of the scene. If we, if they would have kept the scene of what uh, Baron says to Jessica before he leaves Jessica to be, eaten by a sandworm and it's basically we were told to take them out to the desert drop them in a sandworm because we can't kill them ourselves because we promised promised the Benny Jesuits that we wouldn't and we might have to face a truth sayer yes um and they they all these Harkonnen men are having the same conversation so they lift off and then uh one of them is just looking at Jessica he's like I've never had a highborn and the guy flying the ornithopter he's like uh Benny Jesuits aren't highborn. He's like, close enough, though. I've never had one before. Um, <clears throat> and the deaf one, we see, hear him speak. And uh, it's not really a deaf voice, but it is a very, like, childlike voice that he has. Yeah. Um, he's like, maybe we should throw her. I'm not going to do the voice because it's fucking insulting. But <laughs> to deaf people, if it is, <laughs> if this ever is an actual deaf person's voice. It's all voice, right. They won't hear it. <laughs> right. Um, I couldn't. I <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's basically telling her, it's like, no one said we can't do it before we throw her in. And the other guy that was like, I never had a highborn was like, all right, let's do that. And right away, we'll throw him out and, and then, then have our, our way with Jessica with and then give throw her, her in. I, I think he says, give her a long goodbye yeah, is yeah. Um, how he puts it. And right away, Paul's like, don't you touch my mother. And the guy that's sitting right next to him just elbows him in the face. He's like, shut up. And then his uh, Paul's mother, Lady Jessica, signals to him to use the voice, find the right pitch. He attempts it. It looks like it works on the guy. The guy gets up, does like a very like, this is what I'm supposed to do, just moves over in front of Paul, and then just whacks him right in the face. 
And apparently this wakes up Paul enough. And as uh, after he whacks him in the face, he opens the back of the ornithopter. Yes. Is going to throw him out. And then as he reaches for him, Paul has found his voice in the right pitch and says, remove the gag. Yep. Uh, the guy does. Because what is it? The deaf one has already gotten out preparing for them to like, Yeah, the throw. deaf one is like right by the door. Yeah, he says, kill that one and then remove my mother's gag. No. He just says, remove my mother's gag. No, I think he kills the deaf one. He does. But he removes the gag. And then Jessica is the one that says, kill him. And he goes over and kills the deaf guy. And then is standing right in front of Paul. Because I thought and she the, said undo his binds first. No. And, and then, then the says, other guy undo, flying. Undo his binds. Or undo his hands. And the guy flying walks over and puts his hand over her mouth. As the guy cuts his hands free. Yeah, and then basically tells them in their uh their their language like Harkonese or whatever the fuck. He's like, "Look, the lady's fucking tricking you. You need to wake out of it." You see him like uh shuck it off. He wakes up and it looks like he's going to like hassle Paul. Paul trips him. Uh, we see Lady Jessica bite, bite the, guy the guy in his hand. He yells out in pain, then she says, "What did she say?" It it's the extent of where they both the two guys take each other out and then they like roll out the no. ornithopter, I thought. They don't. They don't both kill each other because she kills the one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What happens with the other one? I think she makes him kill himself. Either way, doesn't matter. Don't really remember. It's a small detail. They both fucking die. Um, they feel the ornithopter. Both Harkonnens are now dead. Um, uh, they feel the ornithopter descending onto the ground, and Paul's like, "Shit." Uh, they've broke the ornithopter. We can't control it from here. It completely goes down. Jessica, I believe, also during this whole skirmish, also sees like the diamond. Yeah. Uh, similar to what we get in the 84 version uh, and in the book as well. Um, and she indicates, like, oh, this is something that was hidden here by Dr. Yue. They grab all the equipment, exit, and then they just look off in the distance and see just mass chaos. Um, I can't remember the Ar- Arkin, I think, is the actual city name or something like that. Uh, just all this fire and mayhem descending upon mm-hmm. that city. Um, they start walking away from the ornithopter, and then they they look at the equipment that they have, and they have like a, a was a, a from kit, which is basically just a, a desert version of a sturdy tent. Um, we then cut to Duncan in bed, and he wakes up. Is this hears, Duncan? Yeah, hears everything, like shit going crazy. He's like fuck, and so he runs to. Lady Jessica's room, she's not in her bed. He runs to Paul's room and is screaming for Paul as soon as he opens the door. Yeah. He's not there. And then... I think he goes to, like, the nearby... And then Duncan gets mad. Yeah, he's got two blades with him. And he goes to a nearby, uh, I guess, landing pad. Oh, he's in a hallway and... Oh, that's right, yeah. He uh, flicks on his shield. Well, he sees... uh, Sardicons. Yeah, Sardicon in front or of him. Sardicar, sorry. Sardicar in front of him. And he's like, all right, bet. <laughs> Flicks on his shield, fucking dispatches him, or goes to walk towards him, and he turns around and looks at him, and then he looks down the hallway and sees another couple coming down the hallway the other way, and he's like, okay, only three? <laughs> ha! <laughs> right. Dispatches them all very quickly and then like gets to a landing pad. 
Yeah, and he, the, he doesn't have any more starter cars, but he has a few Harkonnen that he has to deal with. Right. They, uh, we, I think it's like four or five of them. Two of them charge him, and he quickly gets yeah, rid of those he guys. He just fucking kills them. And he like, yells out right. to the other ones, and the other ones are like, nope, fuck this, and they scurry off. <laughs> uh-uh. This guy's crazy. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, Duncan jumps into the Ornithopter, and then he's just bobbing and weaving. We at one point see like this giant laser from this big-ass ship just cutting through the city. We see Duncan like dodging and weaving all these like the laser like cutting through the city, and it doesn't seem like his ornithopter is working the way that it should. Like it's not, it's not operating quite correctly. Like it's flying kind of gimp. That's why he's not able to outrun anything. Oh, and really? That's, that's why he's got to stay low as oh, well. Okay. Like w- there's something wrong with it. Okay. Um. Yeah, he makes it outside the city. He does it. He makes it to where uh, Doctor Leia Kynes is, and he's like. Did you just? I know you weren't in the fucking city, but did you fucking know about this shit? And she's like, "I'm duty bound. I can't tell you anything." And Duncan's like, "So you fucking knew he was gonna do this?" He's like, "And uh, lady, uh, Doctor Lyat Kynes, is- you're gonna you're gonna tell the other highborn uh, people about this, the other yeah. highborn houses about this, right? I'm I've seen nothing. I can say nothing. And she basically is like, the best thing you can do right now is go hide in the desert or something like that. Um, we cut to. I think this is uh, Baron Harkin in, in like a dining room area, and it's just a, a a clothless duke, which is probably the most like they do nothing with his body except for take off all his clothes. His not he's not scarred up, he's not beaten, he's not dismembered, he's just laying there naked, near death. And I think that's the most sinister thing a person can do is just strip, literally strip you down to the skin and bones. And not harm you in any way. Basically taking out any intimacy that you would have with any certain right. uh, body parts that you may have. Just eliminating those that, that veneer of, I need to act proper because I have these clothes on. He takes that away. He doesn't give Duke an option to take it off. He rips it from him completely. It's, it's very sinister. Just, he's, cause the life, near lifeless body of Duke is just slouched over a chair, naked. And Baron is eating. Disgustingly. Yeah. <laughs> Very disgustingly. Like, reminiscent of... Um, What's his name from Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Um, John uh, what, John Noble? Yeah, he the, the steward... The steward of Gondor. Gondor, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and the way he's eating, like, cherry tomatoes and fucking Sing other fruits. Sing me a fruits. song. <laughs> God, it's so gross. Um, and it's very similar to that. Um, and he says something about uh, how good the food is. You must have a great kitchen yeah. cousin. Yeah. And I'm not sure what he's referring to when it comes to cousin. Either it's just someone in his family or... So, spoilers if you haven't read the book. Do you plan on reading the book anytime soon? Um, so, in the book, part of the Benny Jesuit uh, upbringing is that you don't know the father. That you're just given... It's very Jedi-like. You're given to the Bene Gesserits, and they raise you with your actual mother, your birth mother, and all that. But it's all women and all that, so you don't know your father. And it's later revealed in the first Dune book that, um, um, if you remember correctly, in last week's episode, I mentioned that um, Baron Harkonnen, when we first introduced him, he's a very buff, charismatic, good-looking guy. It's later on in the books, he becomes the fat slob that we see later on, mm-hmm. and then we get in this movie. But it's later revealed that Lady Jessica's father is Baron Harkonnen. And I I don't know if that's what they're referring to. And there's a scene that they cut out laying Could that be, story I thread. Suppose. Or maybe he's just talking to a random, random family member in the 
Well, no, Clarence I think Harkonnen. he's he's talking to the Duke. See, that's what I thought as well. Because uh, just the way it seems. Yeah. And... But he calls him cousin. Maybe the sh- maybe like I said, maybe it's the chef is a cousin or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's well, a dodgy I just, little scene. I took it to mean that it's not like Baron and the Duke <laughs> it's were not cousins. No, I thought that they were cousins. Uh, maybe. And he was basically like, like, a, look what you made me do. Instead of just playing nice with the family, you made me. Maybe. Kill but it's not you. really explain or expounded yeah, upon. Yeah, it's not expounded upon or anything. Um, yeah, so uh, Piter comes in. He's like, Dr. Yui's here. He And Baron's like, the traitor. And Piter's like, look, uh, he wants to speak to you. Dr. Yui comes in. He's like, uh, can you free my wife now? That was the agreement. And Dr. Ba- or Dr. Baron. Uh, but Baron drops all his food. He's like, I said I would set your wife free from this torment. And then he gets up and he just floats. And that above you the, could you could join her. Join her. And, and he gets he up. He floats over to him. He floats just above the TV or above the TV, above the table to where like his toes like scrape the wood on the table, and descends in the way because they ju- it's just a side shot. Piter's right next to Doctor Ua. We're on the left side of Doctor Ua, and then Harkonnen just descends from the like the left side of the fucking frame towards Doctor Ua, and just a slow, methodic, just like I can do whatever I want to you right now, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I know that, and I know you know and, that. And he basically is just like, it's like, yeah, I said I'd set your wife free, and that you could join her. So join her and slits his throat. Well, not only that, he grabs him by the hair, lifts him in the air oh, about yeah. a foot off the ground, and then just lops his head off. Not slits his throat, lops because we see if you look off to the side, I'm this is burnt in my fucking brain because it's so sinister. If you look off to the side, like the right side of the camera frame, you see him holding Yui's head before he drops it. And then he walks over to uh Duke, leaning against the table, looking at Duke. And I, he pretty much says, you know, it's funny. It was so easy to fucking take you guys out. Um, and there's no way I could have trusted that guy. He was a fucking traitor. Are you kidding me? And then uh, we see Duke starting to murmur some things. And Baron's like, what? And he gets closer and closer. But before he gets closer and closer, we see him activate his shield. His shield, yeah. Um, he gets closer and closer. And then I th- think Duke says, like, Jessica or Atreides or Paul or something. Something along those lines. He says one final word, and then he crunches on the tooth. All his gas expels. We see everyone freak out. We see Piter getting hit with the gas. We see the doors for the entire chamber being closed. And then uh, we see Piter hit the ground. And then we cut to... There's like three or four people. Yeah, there's a scattering of other people as well. Just little peon people, like handmaids or servants of some sort. Um, But then we cut to... I think it's a... Lady Jessica and Paul in their tent. And we see outside their tent, like, all the sand, like, going over the tent. Just basically hiding them more and more as the wind blows through the sand and everything. Um, And this is a bit of a meandering scene. They could have tightened this up a bit. But there are moments in this where we see Lady Jessica. She, we, she Obviously, this is another scene that probably could have done well with some uh, the internal monologue type yeah. shit. Um, but we see her just... Staring off into the distance, and then she starts crying. Now, obviously, if you know the books and you've watched the 84 version, you know that she can sense that her love has passed away. He's been murdered or killed himself trying to kill the Baron. Yeah. 
Um, we see Paul kind of get sad, but he, then he gets pissed off. Yeah, and his mother like reaches for him. Yeah, she starts trying to hug him and console him. He's like, get the fuck off me! This is all your fault! All the Benny Jezreel bullshit, all the shit with the goddamn Arrakis people, this is all fucking bullshit. He just starts lashing out at fucking Lady Jessica and just the entire situation that he's in. When he uses the voice, whenever he says, like, get away from me. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, he, he puts off this, like, little light, and he sees that there's, like, little specks of spice in the air. And he's like, there's spice here. It's all around us. We see him starting to, like, trip a little bit. He starts having another dream. Um, and he sees that he sees what could potentially be if he becomes the Kwisatz Hatterach that everyone thinks that he's going to be. And he sees, like, the potential future of him waging war across all the known universe. Well, he he just sees somebody fighting. Like, in... I think this is where you get the scene with his the Fetican. Yeah, um, yeah. We all we we do get that scene here, but we also get scene of him and like a ship descending upon on Caladan with him and yeah and Chani next to him, and them just conquering world after world. And he says as much. And then it's just gonna be a sea of blood for him and his people. Excuse me, a holy war in my father's name. Yeah. Uh, what is the next scene? Because after him, this, him freaking out and like backing into the back of the tent. Yeah, I think it ends with uh, just Lady Jessica finally being able to console her son as he's just like, "I'm fucking done with this shit. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done." And he's like, "We need to go." I think you're right. I think it's just cut quick cuts to later in the morning or like early in the morning, and it's just like we need to go as they wake up and like exit the tent. And he immediately uses the sand compactor. Yeah, this is where we see it in action. It's just like this. It reminded me of um, if you've ever like taken like the metal shavings and a magnet. And you know how it does that like sprayed like particle around mm-hmm. a magnet. It almost looked like that because whenever he activates it, he sees all you see all the sand like uh, sp- spray out, not spray out, but like splayed out like a magnet just hit like a bunch of magnetic yeah. metal shavings. Um, but yeah, and then he just starts burrowing a hole out of the tent through the sand. They exit. They gather a bunch of their gear. They start walking a bit, and then they just hear like an ornithopter off in the distance. And they look up, and right away, Paul knows it's Duncan. Duncan lands, greets them, brings them into the ornithopter, and then I think basically takes them to this um, this enclave that used to be a facility to help try to terraform. Arrakis. Yes. Um, we see a bunch of. Uh, well, it's it's um, it's it's Doctor Kane or Kind's like facility where she's been mainly stationed yeah. at. And there's some fremen there, yeah. As well, and we see them doing like a ritual of like sharing each other's water. They're all well, and they're and, uh, whenever the doctor gets there, the fremen like greet her and like, oh, should we make tea? And she's like, yes, do. And then they, Jessica, her, Paul, Duncan, Duncan, all like go off into a back area and she explains what the area is and stuff. Yeah. And then it shows them making tea and it's just like four guys sitting around spitting in a pot or yes. spitting in a thing. Just, um, so they, the, in the, they don't really explain it in this movie, but in the book, like I've been saying, but they, um, value, uh, just not just water itself, but the water a human body 
or a Fremen body can house. So whenever someone dies, they basically drain that entire uh, carcass of any water that's in it. They process it, and then it's used for drinking water for the rest of the Fremen clan right. that's in there. Um, it's just a way to pass on the spirit of that person. It's a very like ritualistic type thing that they do in right. the book. Um, and they're, they're doing something here by sharing each other's water, by making the tea and whatnot. And we hear like small conversations of each of the Fremen people. And like, do you think he's the Mahdi? Um, just having conversation. And then while they're in the middle of this conversation, they all stop. And they hear something. Well, no. One guy sees like one of the shadows is oh, too right. long. Yep. Um, and... and- we then cut to Lady Jessica, Dr. Kynes, and Paul. And Paul's like, look, if I can unite the houses and get them in front of you, will you tell all of them what you know that the Emperor did to me and my house, me and my family? And she's basically like, no. They will never believe me. I'm one person, and you're just a boy in the desert. Yeah, you're, you're a boy in the desert in exile, talking like you have the backing of all the houses and yeah. stuff like that and like you're you're living a fantasy type thing like i'll help you survive yeah but outside of that and nothing um and then yeah they're just basically and, bickering back and forth well and she asks him like who are you and he's like i'm i'm me who are you like are you fremen or are you imperial like and she says something about, like, you don't know me. And he's like, I do. He's like, I know you loved a Fremen. You lost him in battle. I saw a dream you had once. I, I saw your dream. Yeah. And she's like, oh, shit. Maybe he is something special. Yep. And about this time, uh, outside in, like, the main area where they were making tea... A bunch of soldiers start descending down. A bunch down. of uh, the Sadakar. The Sadakar come down with their, what is it, upspenders or something like that? Oh, no, just the uh, Baron has this ascender thing. Uh, and that's just in the book. They don't really explain it in here, but he's just able to float in here. Well, so do the Sadakar. Cause no, they, like, no, they just descend on grappling wire. Is it? I didn't see any wires or anything. I thought it was, or maybe just like a jetpack on their back Yeah, or I thought it was some sort of jetpack or it's something, possible. but it's silent. Yeah, yeah. So this whole scene is silent, and they, like, descend down into the main area, and everyone is gone. There yeah, are the, no Fremen there. We see a the little only, cup. The only thing that still exists is just this tiny cup. Yeah. And the Sadokar are, like, kind of looking around and stuff, like, what the hell? Like, there was just people here. I saw them. And the other Sadokar are like, it's okay, buddy. Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, just... Like, just puffs of sand pop up as the Fremen. Yep. Just take out motherfuckers. Just start, start, like, their guerrilla tactic warfare stuff. Mm -hmm. It works for a moment, but then we see the Sadakar are uh, getting the upper hand. Very quickly, like, uh, so to explain it in D&D terms, the Sadakar, or the Fremen, got a surprise round on the Sadakar. Like, they were able to launch an attack before initiative started and then as soon as initiative started they got their ass kicked yeah um they're quickly taken care of the solder car basically going the rest of the facility and just taking out anybody that gets in their way duncan hears something he's not quite sure what it is he opens another corridor 
he as he opens it, he sees a Fremen being taken out by a Sardaukar, yells back to Paul, Jessica, and Dr. Kynes. Sardaukar! Sardaukar. And I almost wanted an internal monologue similar to what we got in 300. Um, or the, yeah, in 300. Because he just starts, he takes off his gloves. He has like this, uh, this well, no, cardigan he's, on. He he's, takes uh, that off. He's like playing with a, a, a bug. bug. Yeah, yeah. Of this some giant sort. of a man is just gently uh, playing with a bug. He's like, not torturing. He's just, just watching just the blood on his it hand crawl over his hand and stuff. And then he, it's like okay, something's wrong. And he starts looking around, realizes what's wrong. He takes off his other glove, throws off his cape. Yeah, uh, type poncho his, thing. His desert covering. Yeah, and then just takes out his knives. Uh, he smashes the controls for the door behind him. Well, it locks he, behind him. He opens the door mm. and steps through, and then is on the other side. And, like, locks eyes with Paul, and Paul's like, Duncan! And you see him... booking it. And you see him just put put his sword over his heart and then up to, to his, his head. head. Yeah, it's very, like, heart and head type. Which I'm is, gonna fight with both. Which is, uh, like, their... Uh, it's almost like a... Salute type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I will... This will be an honorable... Fight, yeah. Like, I'm going to fight honorably with my heart and my head, yeah. Stuff and smashes the controls as the door slams shut. And Paul runs up to it, Duncan, yeah. Uh, he starts trying to use the controls, and then fucking Timothy Chalamet just starts starts punching punching the door. (laughs) And it looked like right before they cut away from it, he punches it way too hard, and it looks like he's gonna be like, ah, (laughs) because he probably did. (laughs) That's why they had to cut it there, (laughs) right. But then you flash to the other side of the door and see Duncan just turn around and there's like 20 guys in front of him. There's a fucking ton of them. There's in just front a of him. shit ton. And he's like, <laughs> you know, turns on his shield and just leaps into action. It is fucking brilliant to see this. This is what I was talking about when we talked about the 84 version. In the 84 version of Dune, Duncan. He gets taken out like a bitch. Yes. In the book, he's a badass. In this movie, he's a fucking badass because he starts ripping through motherfuckers left and right. Yeah, knives in the gut, knives in the fucking face, over the throat. We see him like kick out the legs of one guy and just slit him across one of the them, face. One of them like shoots a dart at him to penetrate. Uh, yeah, his and he shield. just puts his knife in and between he, it. He just whoop. <laughs> like that's not gonna fucking work. <laughs> Um, eventually, uh, they do get the upper hand on they, Duncan. They shoot at him again, and he just like launches one of his <laughs> knives at him. Yeah. But it doesn't follow the rule of like slow moving projectiles penetrate the shield. Like he just throws it at him, and it bonks off the shield, <laughs> but it like knocks him back and so he like jumps and fucking knees him in the face (laughs) yeah like he throws the knife and then takes off running after the knife yeah and uh and the knife is moving too fast to penetrate the shield he's like well maybe my knee will (laughs) nope and the guy just hits the ground and is laying there and then he very slowly plunges his knife in he kills all of them looks like he fucking one and then like six more guys yep. come in and he's holding his own with the new six guys for a moment but then they end up getting the best of him he yeah he continues to like fight them off and then on the other it flashes back to the other side of the door and they're scurrying around they're getting a few still suits around uh we see dr kynes opening up like a secret corridor telling him we need to go get and the fuck out of they're here. like no we're not leaving without without duncan 
Paul's like, we're not leaving without Duncan. And Dr. Kynes is like, mm, yeah, you are. Yeah. Like, the entire reason that he's doing that is so you can escape. Yep. If you do this, then his sacrifice means nothing. He knew closing that door meant his death. Yep. But he did it to protect you. Don't let that go to waste. And then it flashes back and you see he finally gets stabbed. Like right in the midsection. Yeah, like right in the midsection. And then and drops, he to, drops the to the ground. You think that's it. And then the Sadukars start it's a fucking smaller, firing a smaller version of that particle beam thing. Yeah, that we saw earlier. And it looks like it's going to hit them as they're like taking cover behind a wall. Yeah, because the beam and, just goes right through the door, right through the entire room. And then you get a shot from like the door's perspective, and you see all the Sadukar, and then you just see Duncan stand back up and <laughs> pull like the pull the blade out, out, of, out of him <laughs> and just yell. <laughs> and just <laughs> and takes out a few more guys. Rage! <laughs> Uh, but the laser beam stops on the inside of the room. Uh, they run Paul, out. Paul, Jessica, and Dr. Kynes run out. We then cut back to where uh, Duncan is, and he's been bested once again, and he drops to the ground. We cut to... Actually in, dead this time. Actually dead this time. We cut to the corridor they just snuck into. As the door closes, we hear the clanging of the door that was just cut out by the starter car. Um, they're running through the tunnels. They've got their equipment. We see the tunnel fork off into two different ways. Um, Dr. Kynes tells Jessica and Paul to go the one way. And they'll find an ornithopter fully fueled and ready to go. Yep. And they're like, well, come with us. And she's like, no, it only seats two. And, and they're he's like, like, well, how will you, or what will you do? And she's like, oh, I'll go uh, to one of the uh, yurts. Yeah, the sieges. Sieges. Yeah, yeah, I'll go nearby to sieges. I'll go to a nearby siege. And tell or, the no, people. I'll go, I'll go to another. Um, they call them something like land something. I can't remember exactly. It's another area similar to the one that they're at. Another like excavator terraforming facility. Yeah, I'll go to another terraforming facility and get the ornithopter there. Fly back and tell all the great houses what's happened here. Like, obviously, this is fucked up. Yep. And Paul's and like, he's how, like, well, will, you how will you do it? Yeah. And she's like, uh, I... I control the state or no, she doesn't say I control the stands, but she's like, she's like, I'm Fremen. Yeah. And then is that something else about her in Fremen being part of the desert or something like that. She's like, I, this is, this is where I live. Yep. Uh, she fucks off down her tunnel. Jessica and Paul run down theirs. Um, they jump in their ornithopter. It doesn't start up right away, but then, you know, kicks on after a few minutes. Well, I mean, it could start right away, because then it wouldn't build any tension. Right. Uh, so they get it lifted off. Jessica goes outside her tunnel. She sees them fly off. Um, she Dr. Kynes. Dr. Kynes uh, goes outside, sees them fly off. She then takes out something from her equipment and uh, activates it and plunges it in the ground. And we just see this thing go thump, 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 thump. It's the thumper that you've uh, and, heard about. And then you see her whip out like two grappling hooks. Yeah, yeah. Anchors of some sort. We're not sure what for. We'll get to that in the next movie. Um, I have no doubt we'll get to that in the next movie. Um, we then cut back to Jessica and uh, Paul. And they're flying through it. And it's uh, they see a nearby storm. They're being hassled by a couple Harkonnen men because they're starting to get shots fired at them. They, um, Dr. Kynes also tells them, like, that's a dust storm. It's your best chance to survive. Like, they won't be able to follow you in there. Keep it above 5,000 feet. That's where 
it's mostly just dust. There's yeah. no rock. It'll look anything. like a storm. You're in the storm, but it'll just but you'll be, be safe. safe. Yep. Um, uh, so they uh, barrel into the storm. The Harkonnen do not follow them. They get a they they shoot like three missiles. Yeah, like uh, like heat seeking missiles of some sort. We see Paul starting to like try to bob and weave away from him. He's trying to get up to the five thousand feet, but it's not working. He's trying to get away from the mu- uh, missiles. They eventually end up exploding uh, in the middle of the storm. But as Paul's trying to get them back back up out of the storm and in that five thousand range, he then remembers a dream that he had. And in the dream, he hears Jamis, the guy he ends up fighting, spoilers, fighting at the end. He hears Jamis saying, I will teach you our ways. And then he says something very fucking great. Um, the mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. A process that cannot be understood by stopping it. We must move with the flow of the process. We must join it and we must flow with it. And you just see Paul accept this idea, turn off the controls, and just close his eyes. And it, the and, ornithopter just and goes bring with the, the bring the wings of the ornithopter in in yes uh, and they ju- you just see the ornithopter just basically going with how the storm is uh, like kicking them in and out of the um, I guess the eye of the storm and then it eventually pops them up above it well and there's like the glass starts to break yeah and- it looks like they're gonna be taken out by the storm but then yeah it gets above the at the five thousand range hidden in the dust Paul sees this activates like- it again. We're in the 5,000. Um, only this time, one of the wings does not come out fully, and it's trying to, but just doesn't work. Um, so they're trying to man, get out of this storm, and try to f- not get caught by the Harkonnen. It, it flashes back to um, Dr. Kynes. Yeah. Standing there waiting. And she sees a dust uh, plume like happening. Like, oh, here comes a fucking sandworm. Like, here comes the worm. And then you just hear like a squish... And you see a splash of water. And I fucking loved that. I was <laughs> like, I was like, you know, you could have done blood because it yeah, yeah. pierced through. But it was... She's in a still suit. It was her, her still suit being pierced, not her blood yep. that you see. And I just, I really like that. And it's, I want to say it's like three or four. Yeah, it's a few of them. Of the Sada car. Of the Sada cars. And they start like taunting her, yeah, yeah. and she's like, "I, what the fuck does she say?" They basically telling her like, "This is where you die, Fremen," and she's like, "I fear nothing because I live by my own god." Yeah, I. I, Oh, oh, what god do you worship? And she says, "Shai Halud," and just starts pounding the ground. And as she continues as to pound, pounds, we see the sand starting to shift towards something coming towards them. It's similar to what we got with the harvester being swallowed up. And you see them like sink into their knees and they can't get back out as a giant sandworm comes and, and eats everybody off. up. Yep. Um, we then cut to Jessica and Paul. They have now crash landed at this point and they are outside the ornithopter and uh, they... Uh, basically run to the nearest rock because Paul says, whenever we get out, run to the closest rocks. They do so. It's very similar to what we got in the 84 version. It's similar to what we got in the book as well. Um, they get to the rocks, and there's not much said between the two characters. They just look at each other, look at what they just went through, and then they just turn their backs towards one another and start getting undressed and getting into their still suits and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we then cut to, it's later in the evening. Uh, oh, no, before we get to them doing the sand walk, we cut to... Um, House Harkonnen going through that 
dining area and just a few of the Harkonnen men just going through just in hazmat suits in hazmat suits trying to assess the situation looking at the bodies that are all around them and then up in the ceiling they see something and it's the Baron gasping gasping just holding on for dear life they see him they also like oh my god and then we cut to um, Dave Batista coming into like this main facility and they explain it in this movie of what that oil shit is. It's basically like a healing bath for him. Cause we just see, uh, like a handmaiden just dumping a bunch of oily shit into like a main facility. And then Baron looks at the handmaiden and the handmaiden is like, he, he still has time he needs to spend in the Not healing Baron. bath. Not Baron. Uh, Raban. Look, the handmaiden looks at uh, Raban and just says he still needs time in the bath. Um, you can talk to him, but he can't leave it just yet. And we just see like burb- uh, bubbling and like the the oily substance start like shifting and whatnot. And Robin or uh, Raban uh, says we followed them into like a 800 mile storm sandstorm. There's no way they survived that. Everybody's dead. It's certain death. They're certainly dead. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then Baron just pops up just his head out of the water and it's like good now we have no opposition in our way um and he basically tells uh raban it's like i'm gonna give you the city this cost a shit ton yep tell our men on getty prime so well he's like he's like yeah this cost a shit ton to bring this expeditionary force and stuff so we need spice start mining again and squeeze the planet raban yep and he's and uh Batista's like, oh, and what about the Fremen people? And the Baron's like, kill them. Kill them all. Kill them all. Um, we then cut to uh, Paul and uh, Lady Jessica, and Paul is telling her, so in order for us to hide from the sandworms, we need to do what they call sandwalk. And <laughs> so I wrote down a description as best as I can uh, figure out what the sandwalk is. So it is, um, he shows her, Lady Jessica, and it's basically like a diagonal step to either your right or left, then you drag your other leg just with your diagonal step. Then a small diagonal step to either side, left or right. Then an arc out with your drag, uh, with your second foot dragging as well. And then repeat. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much that. And they do that for a little bit. They get to like this main like rock area. Well, no, they don't get to a rock area. They, uh, they're like standing on top of a dune and, uh, Dr. Kynes, whenever she sends them, tells them to go south because that's where the nearest Fremen village is and they can probably find safety there. Yeah. Um, and so they they head off that way and they're standing on top of just a sand dune. Um, like they, they sit on top of one and then they walk a little bit more and then they're standing on top of one and... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul is holding the uh, compass that Duncan gave him. Yep. And she's like, well, which way do we go? And he's like, I think it's that way. (laughs) She's Uh, like, you don't know! (laughs) But they walk for a while longer in the sands, and then they see a giant rock ahead of them. Uh, Not only that, but this is where we get uh, Paul looking at a sandworm before they get to the big giant structure. I almost forgot about this because it's very, it's interesting how they play the scene out. So while they're walking to that big stone area, they then see a plume of dust of sand come up and they're being chased by a sandworm. 
And so they're booking it to this fucking rock formation. And right when it, it's hot under their ass, and right before it gets to them completely, Paul Jessica hits the rock formation first, and then Paul lands on it, and then Paul just turns around. And the sandworm is completely, or not completely, just its head is up out of the fucking ground, just looking at them with his maw open. And it just holds on a shot of just like Lady Jessica right behind him, Paul right in front of her, looking at the sandworm. And they don't say a thing. They just look at each other. And then we hear thump, thump, thump off in the distance. And the sandworm goes to the thumper. And it makes a little roaring sound. As it it just fucks off. Um, It was a very interesting scene to watch, especially what happens with the sandworms and Paul Trades and the Fremen people. It's... I'm fucking very excited for part two. Um, but yeah, uh, Lady Jessica's like, why did it run away? And Paul's like, well, there's a thumper off in the distance. Somebody activated a thumper off there. And then we just hear Javier Bardem just speak off behind them. He's like, yeah, it was me and my people. They turn around and there's still going. No. I thought it was like right no, after that no, no, scene. No, 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 no. There's no, like, they're like, somebody set off a thumper and you see him kind of like look around and stuff. You don't see anybody, but he signs to her and is like, we're not alone. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Signs, we're not alone. And then they're both kind of like, well, what should we do now? As they're nonchalantly scanning. And then the Fremen's just kind of like walk over the edge of the cliff. I thought Heavy Arbardem says something to like... To that, yeah. So yeah, they all come out, and he's like, "Try not to run. Uh, you'll just be wasting your water, and it'll be useful for us later on." I think that's what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's basically saying, "Like, look, I don't know what you're doing out here, but I told you not to come out here. You're do agreed not to be out here. That you people wouldn't be out here unless absolutely needed to be." And then Paul's like, "Look, we were attacked by the House Harkonnen." Well, and, and Paul's like, "I know you. You met with my father. Yeah, like, yeah. you met." I was in the room whenever you met with him. Like, we, we're we supposed to have some sort of accord. And he's like, no. We hear a few of uh, uh, Stilgar's people say Maudi off in the distance. Mm-hmm. Just like whispers, like, oh, it's Maudi, Maudi, all type shit. And uh, he's like, well, the boy is still young enough. Like, we will break, we will take him in. We will teach him our ways. He will become one of us. And then he looks at Jessica and is like, mm, "You're too old." Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, we will need. We will use your water, um, but you need to go. Um, Paul says, "Like the hell you do." The fuck you will. Uh, That's my mama. <laughs> yeah. He's like. Uh, he's basically like, "I'm gonna fucking punch you," <laughs> as like a little kid would. And uh, Jessica's like, "No, no, run." He starts booking it, and then Javier Bardem uh, starts attacking Jessica. Only she. Is having none of it. She bests him right the fuck away. It's very similar, like I've been saying, like in the book, in the 84 version, where she has him, like, basically around the neck with, like, a knife to his... To like, his throat. Throat. And all of the Fremen's, like, kind of... Are going to attack the, her. Do the, like, the obligatory, like, leap to the defense of your leader. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like... This crazy ass bitch is gonna slit my throat. Like, yeah. if any of you move, <laughs> I'm fucked. 
she gonna kill me. <laughs> yeah, and then like he, I will be dead, dead. We see Paul get to the get top and, of the cliff, and she just kind of like looks around crazy eyed, like I'll fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. um, Paul gets to the cliff, unfurls like he it, like unfolds a gun, yeah, a and pistol, and at. pulls the firing mechanism yeah, back, yeah, just training it on whoever he may need and, to do it. Uh, and, Javier Bardem's yeah. characters like I didn't realize. I thought you were just a Benny Gesserit. I didn't know you were trained in the weirding, the weirding way, way or yeah, something like that. And uh, he's like, obviously, we have, we could probably find use for you. Like, and then put that, down, put down the knife. You and your son both have. Uh, they mention a city. We'll take them to what such and such. Yeah, city I don't remember the we'll name of the city. Decide either. what to deal with them there. Until we get there, they're under my protection. Nobody harms them. Nobody does anything. And then, uh, yeah, he cuts his wrist as like a blood oath to Lady Jessica and like a bunch of his men. A bunch of them all do the same. Um, And then uh, Chani says what she says in the 84 version whenever they, and I'm sure in the book too, whenever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're first introduced, like, I wouldn't have let you hurt any of my friends. Yep. And he kind of like turns around and sees that she's got a knife out. Yeah. Trained to him, trained to him and stuff. And she like, goes, he goes down and um. Well, she says something smugly. She's like, "You kind of went up the mountain the long way. Here, I'll show you a quicker way to get down." Yeah, <laughs> they get down, and uh, Javier is like, "Okay, let's go to whatever the city name is." Uh, they all start uh, building formation well, no, and walking. There's a, there's a little seat, and so he's like, "You know, well, you, you and your son have safe passage, like." Give me the knife. And she does. Oh, and the gun that he has as well. And then he approaches Paul whenever he get comes back down the mountain and is he calls he names the gun. Like you will have your own whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. When you are ready for it. Yeah. When you've proven yourself, I think is what he says. Um uh, so and then they're all about to leave, and then Jamis, the guy that we've seen in Paul's one vision, he's uh he's got the blue and blue eyes, the black gentleman. Uh, he's like, no, fuck this. These aren't our people. Kill the woman, take the boy. What the fuck are you doing? And Javier Bardem is like, no, I just told you what to do. That's an order. Get in fucking line. He's like, no, I'm not going to. And then he says, I invoke Amtel. Well, he's like, he says, I'm your leader. Uh, Javier Bardem's character is like, I'm your leader. Like, listen to me. Yep. And he's like, the person who leads is the strongest. You're not the leader. She was. Yes. And he's like, I invoke uh, Amtal. And Javier explains that you're going to have to fight him. And uh, Duke, or uh, not Duke, but uh, Paul's like, that ain't fucking happening. Um, I, There's some reason that Lady Jessica doesn't go and fight him. I can't remember what. To the point where he's like, all right, then give me your champion. Who will fight in your steed? And Paul steps in and he's like, he doesn't say it, but he just steps in front of his mother, indicating that he is going to be her champion. Yeah, her. I get to fight her or her champion. Mm-hmm. And then Paul steps in front of his mother, and he's like, I accept her champion. Yep. Uh, and then everybody just circles around them. We see Jessica off to the side. We see Paul. He we, Well, before they get to the fight, we see Chani offer him a Chris knife. And she's basically telling him, you're going to die. I don't think you're the Muad'Dib. Jamis, no, Maudi. Maudi is the uh, the their prophet and messiah. Maudi yeah. is his name that he takes. Ma, I don't think you're the Maudi. But that being said, 
I don't want you to die badly. Yeah. So I want you to die with some respect. So yeah. this is my great grandmother's Chris knife carved from the tooth of Shai Halud himself. Like yeah. it'll be an honor for it'll you to be have an, it and die yeah, with it. It'll be an honor for you to hold it while you die, <laughs> yeah. basically. And then it's like uh Jemma or Jemai Jamis. Jamis? Yeah, J A M I S. Jamis is a great warrior. He won't allow you to suffer. Yep. Like at least take you know um, solace in yeah, the solace, fact yeah. that you'll die quickly. Yep. Um uh he takes the knife, he says thank you. Uh he says Chani, he looks like he's about to say something, which right away I would be like, How do you know my name? Because I don't think anybody ever says her name. No. Until he says her name. So. Um, and then he's like, oh, never mind. He walks away. <laughs> he says, I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> right. um, uh, and so we have Jamas just like pumping himself up, like yelling, snarling, shit like that. And Paul's just standing in front of him. And he, his mother tells him, Paul, don't do this or some shit like that. Paul then does the heart and head thing with the uh, with Chris, the Chris knife, knife. Puts his hand over his heart, over his head. Well, and <laughs> Jamas like... <laughs> or wait, no, that's not till later. I forget yeah. what he does. He does so, some, so Paul, some sort of like honor bound. So yeah, Paul has bested Jamis like three or four times at this point. And he's like, do you yield? And he pushes him away and have your bar down. Well, here, we'll get to it in a second. Well, no, I'm I'm speaking specifically like Jamis does like. Not his, for you. His version of the heart and head thing. Oh, like he right. he does some sort of display of like this is going to be a fair fight like nobody's trying to take advantage of the other yep. and then uh, Paul does the heart and head thing and then they both ready themselves for battle they trade back and forth yeah they they it's basically a similar fight that you got with him and Gurney where they're trading blows back and forth nothing too damaging we see Paul get punched in the nose. Or like elbowed in the nose, he backs up a bit, wipes the blood from his nose, and then just readies himself again. He does a few other uh, parries with his knife, and then eventually, bam, knife is right on uh, he, Chami's he manages Jamie's to, neck. To like control the knife hand of Jamis and put a knife to his throat, hmm. and it's like, "Do you yield?" And everybody gasps. And then uh, Javier Bardem is like, oh, yeah, obviously he's not one of us, so he doesn't know. Well, no, he's like, does he mean to dishonor the man? And his mother's like, he's never killed a man before. Well, no, she doesn't say he's never killed a man. Yeah, she does. No, not not yet. Oh, okay. Because he, he first says um, that... Oh, that's right, yeah, whenever he initially... That it's not... It's He doesn't know our way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever they it's first cast... It's a fight cast. to the death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he does it a few more times where he bests uh, Jamis... With the blade to his neck, I think a few times to like his chest, and he's not killing Jamis in any way. But and, every <laughs> time they separate, Jamis just gets more and more does, angrier. Does yeah, does a like angry roar, and by the end, it's just. Um, so yeah, uh, Javier Bardem says, uh, does he mean to dishonor him? And this is where we get Lady Jessica. He's like, he's never killed a man before. He's never killed a man. And then Paul. Uh, just steadies himself and then has another vision. And uh, the vision says, Paul Atreides must die for the Kwisak's Hadarach to rise. And then we also hear uh, Lady Jessica whisper, if you kill a man, you also kill yourself. Mm -hmm. Or something like that. Um, and then Paul readies himself again, 
quickly fucking beats the guy and then bam flips the knife around hits the guy in the back the guy drops he has been bested by Paul Atreides. Everyone accepts his fate. We see all the Fremen people come down, pat Paul on the che- or on the shoulder as he walks away from the fight. Very almost like shell-shocked from the idea that he just killed a man right in front of everybody, and everybody's fucking fine with the idea. Um, he walks up to uh, uh, Chani, hands her back the knife. She's shocked. She didn't think that outcome would happen. And then Javier Badem is like, all right, let's go. And, or they- no... Uh, he says, yeah, let's go. And then Lady Jessica's like, no, no, no. He just bested one of your best men. You need to help us get us off planet and get him out of here as best as possible. And this is one of my favorite scenes in this movie. For the first time out of this entire fucking movie, through the, uh, right from the beginning up to this point, every decision that Paul has made has been done by someone else. Right. Someone else has always told him, you've got to go do. here, you got to do this, this is your responsibilities. And then in this last moment for Paul... He says, no, we're staying here. I'm going with them out to the desert. And My father brought me here. Yeah. My path has led me to the desert. The desert is where I need to be. Yeah, my, my, well, it's something to the exchange of, yeah, my father came here not for uh, money, not for the spice, but, but for, for the, the desert power. For the desert power, and my path led me to the desert. Yeah. I'm not leaving. Yeah. Um, Lady Jessica, she doesn't say as much, but she gives like, all right, let's do this. Um, they all pack up. We see the wrapped body of Jamis, um, being carried by his people. As they walk away, we hear Chani say, this is your first steps. And then we cut to credits and that's the movie. It's a fucking fantastic movie. I love this movie, um, from beginning to end. Yeah. There are some slow parts that could have been tightened up or maybe even things could have been explained a bit more, especially for someone like me, I was eating up all this shit. But if you haven't read the book or even watched the '84 version right. of the movie, you have no it idea. It means what the a fuck lot less to you. Some of the right. some of the littler details mean a lot less to you. Right. So yeah, um, I really enjoyed this movie. This movie, uh, something I probably should have mentioned at the beginning of the episode, is that this movie was released in the middle of what we're still dealing with this pandemic. Like I said, it was released like three weeks ago or something yeah, like that. Yeah, on. Uh, HBO Max. Yeah, and in theaters as well. Well, right, right, but that'll take away right. some of the... Some of it. It did pretty decently. We'll get to that here in a second. But the critic score for this movie was an 83%. The audience score was 90%. I honestly thought that was going to be in the inverse. I thought the audience wouldn't get a lot of this movie, and it'd be like in the 80 range, and the critic score would be much higher than it is. But it is what it is. I totally agree with the 83-90. Like I said, there could have been a few tweaks here and there, maybe some stuff explained. Um, but the budget for this movie was $165 million. Now, think about some of the movies that are coming that have been coming out, and they're like the $200, $250 million range. And Dune is a movie no one thought could be produced. And this movie is produced so fucking well. And for, yes, it may be a bit overblown, well, but for just $165 million, that's well, pretty fucking uh, impressive. Well, let's face it, like, a lot of their budget was just, Sand, <laughs> right? Like you can buy a lot of sand, <laughs> right? Even in like uh, any sort of like rendering program, sand isn't that hard to yeah. uh, computerize. Um, anyway, so opening weekend. Granted, this did come out whenever it also came out on opening or uh, on HBO Max. But opening weekend made forty one million dollars thus far, from what I checked the, a few days ago. Well, opening weekend won't change. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, but domestically, so far, 
uh, 83.9 million dollars internationally so far, 246.5 million dollars for only being out for three about three four weeks internationally. Uh, altogether makes it 330. Point five million dollars altogether so far. Obviously, and this movie still generating. That's income. not bad considering that I'm pretty sure probably at least half of the people who've seen this movie have watched it on HBO Max and did not go probably. To the theater. And I, I, I didn't go to the theater to watch no, this. No, I'm still not 100 percent comfortable sitting in a movie theater. Yeah, me either. And I don't want anybody to die that's in my life because I went to a movie. Yeah, that's something I could easily wait for. Well, especially like. Because you didn't have to wait. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was on HBO yeah. Max. Like, like, I haven't seen... Shang-Chi comes out in a few days on Disney+. Plus. haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I haven't either. I will whenever it comes out on Disney+. Plus, But, yeah, haven't seen it yet. Um, that and uh, Eternals is Eternal. Out yeah, it came out a few days ago. A week ago, I think. Yeah, last week. Um, and it's supposed to be really good, depending on who, if you like... Um, so, the weird thing is, like, if you are a racist or a bigot, you don't like Eternals. And that's the only reason because they have a gay character, they have a, uh, a multiracial couple. It's insane some of the bullshit people spew. I it didn't really like the the None trailer of the marketing. I was just, just kind of like meh. None of the marketing seemed I think, intriguing to me. I think the but only just, well, yeah, like <laughs> that wouldn't be the reason that I hate the movie. Yeah, or if I even hate the movie, like I'm not saying that I will. Uh, the only thing that I'm not really like 100. percent sold on is like I don't really need Angelina Jolie like you could have got a lesser known actor and like gave them a shot at you know big start it it just seemed like a grab to to we have Angelina Jolie watch our movie and well I I was thinking if if it was the DCU I think that would be their motive but being that it's the MCU I don't think I, I think they went with Angelina Jolie because they thought that she was the right fit for the role that she's playing. I don't think they used her as a name person. It's the MCU. I know it just kind of felt like a like a name grab. If it was if, if it was Warner Brothers doing the movie, then yeah, I would say you're probably right. Well, because it's not like a a tier character. Like it's the Eternals. All the characters, except with the exception of Black Knight. All the characters aren't really that A tier, from what I if I remember correctly. A lot of the characters are like. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like she's playing Iron Man or Pepper Potts or someone with name recognition. Mm -hmm. Like, this is kind of a D list character. Well, if you think about it, for us nerds. Tony Stark and Iron Man were, was pretty popular, but in the, I guess, zeitgeist of everyone else, because the big three were Spider-Man, Batman, and Superman. Yeah. Um, Iron Man was maybe fifth or sixth on that list, and then the MCU kicked in, and then Iron Man became just as popular, if not more popular, than Spider-Man, depending on who you are. So I'd almost bet they were trying to do something like that with the Eternals. Maybe. I don't know. So who knows? I, it looks intriguing, just doesn't look that intriguing for me to yeah. want to see it. Obviously, because of the pandemic, I'm not going to go see it anytime soon. But whenever it does come on Disney+, Plus, I'm not going to rush to... We are going to cover it at one point, but I'm just not going to rush to go see it anytime right. soon. Um, in that same vein. So next week, um, we're done with Dune movies, because there's no other Dune movies to uh, cover. So next week... Hold on, I wrote a schedule. All right. So next week we are going to cover Shang Chi. 
Okay. Um, because it's it comes out in like two days on Friday. Cover that uh, next week. And then for the next two weeks, I decided to change things up a bit. Because we've been mainly covering just comic book movies. Just comic book or comic book adjacent movies. I decided to go a little bit different with like graphic novel. And decided to fucking tackle one of my favorite comic books. So we're going to cover for the next two weeks after Shang-Chi, uh, Sin City 1 and 2. Okay. Um, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, those are also books I've read. I've read multiple fucking times. Yep. One of my Same. favorite. One of my favorite fucking uh, graphic novels, comic book, is um, the the last book in the series called To Hell and Back. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking fantastic book. Marv story. Yes, all of it. Uh, I, I think it's gonna be fucking just fun to just dive right into. Anyway, being that a good portion of the first movie takes place in like a snowy time, I think the second one does as well. So. It f- will fit in with the theme of the next few months because of, yeah, Christmas and all that. Anyway, that is pretty much all I got. That's all I've got. Make sure to comment, rate, subscribe, tell us what you think about Dune Part 1. Yep. Uh, tell us what you think about any of the stuff that we've been covering. Um, tell us basically anything. Leave us, leave us a comment, what you like about the podcast, what you don't. Yep, uh, you can do so on Apple iTunes, all those things. Um, or just Apple Podcasts, not Apple iTunes. I keep, I'm fucking a millennial like no fucking other. I keep referring to it as iTunes. It's not iTunes anymore. No. Hasn't been for a few Apple years Apple Music, now. Apple Podcasts. Yes. Um, anyway, um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerdinian. You can also follow me on the, both those platforms at that wanker. You can also follow me on uh, TikTok at that wanker with an E because I'm lazy. And remember, hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, then you'll never make it through the night. It's true, Your Honor. This man has no dick. (laughs)